Hi, this is Don Coscarelli, director of Phantasm, the Beastmaster, Bubba Hotep, and you're listening to Without Your Head. the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. That would make me terrible drawing. I'm Treacherous Trista. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of cool people here. Why, why, is, why don't you, each of you introduce yourselves? We'll start with Jason. Well, I'm, I'm Jason Hewlett, uh, writer, director, and creator of the paranormal reality series We Want to Believe. Very cool. Brian. I'm Brian Vinnie Bradley, uh, co-director and writer of Echoes of Fear, with stars Treacherous Trista. Very good. Robert. Uh, I'm Robert Bettis. I am co-founder and programmer for the Stuff Film Festival down here in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. Right. South Texas Underground Film Festival, people who uh, you don't know what Stuff is. And Mariella. Uh, mysterious Mariella. <laughs> I'm glad you really uh, like your name. I did. I thought it was really neat. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, I am the one of the co-founders, and I'm the festival director of South Texas Underground Film Festival. Um, and we also do a podcast called Curious Transmissions, where we, without all the tangents, we try to talk about uh, folklore, paranormal. Um, somehow, we always end up tying in a movie that has something to do with uh, the unknown um, stuff that really is that you're curious about. So very cool. Very it's good cool. to have everyone here for the paranormal uh, special here on without your head. Well, thanks for having Thank us. For having us. Yeah, yeah, glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. 
All right. So, uh, well, first of all, Jason, uh, you, we showed the uh, trailer for, for the web series. Can you explain people what, what, what it is? Well, it's, uh, it's sort of, I work with a gentleman named Peter Wren, who's been a paranormal investigator for 27 years. Uh, he's originally from England. He's been doing this all over the world. And he runs Vancouver Paranormal Society up here in Vancouver, British Columbia. And I met him three years ago because it was just before Halloween. And I've been interested in the supernatural for most of my life. Had stuff, experiences go on that I couldn't explain and had done a little bit of amateur ghost hunting on my own, which isn't always smart, by the way. Um, <laughs> and we sort of, I sort of wanted to hook up and do something fun just before Halloween in 2017. So I went on a ghost hunt with him. And I ended up becoming sort of a lead investigator and a director with Vancouver Paranormal Society. We were looking at doing a podcast about it because um, I already do a, a podcast with my friend Sean. And so we were, we were at the location that we actually ended up shooting the first four episodes that we want to believe in. And I did this uh, just like, you know, Facebook Live thing just to kind of tease the investigation in the show. And I'm friends with John Fallon, uh, who's known as the Arrow of Arrow in the Head, uh, which, of course, is part of Joel Blow Movie Network. And he watched it. And he's like, dude, why are you doing a podcast? Why don't you do like a, a YouTube web series? And because it's just the way I have the film background and a journalism background. I'm like, sure, why not? And uh, we put a team together and just sort of went back to that location and, and shot, you know, for a whole day. And we're getting ready to put uh, the show together. And then, of course, COVID-19 hit. Um, and so we had to kind of cobble the pilot together, released it. it. It went over well. So we then put together the next two episodes, which are currently out. And the fourth episode, which wraps up the Demon Jar, which is what we call the first investigation, comes out actually on Monday. Oh, nice. uh, so that's kind of how that happened. So, I mean, it took my interest in paranormal and then I, you know, I was a mainstream journalist with a newspaper for 10 years and I have a film background. So it was a way to kind of combine all these interests together, work with like my friends and, and do something fun uh, that has gone over pretty good with people. They, those who watch it really seem to like it. Yeah. Very cool. And we're going to talk more about that because I know a lot of people here watch it or maybe everyone here watched it. And I know uh, Brian has a lot of things to ask about it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And I know you're going, sorry, Brian. Waiting for the episodes is painful. Okay. <laughs> we do one of my, most, a lot of the, 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 the stuff on the Joe Blow Horror videos is, which is where it's run, kind of on a monthly basis. They just like to roll it out that way. And they have like many shows, 13 or 14. They got more coming. Um, I'm kind of working with them on another show that we're going to do here sometime in the fall. Oh, cool. uh, so we're just trying to get content out and, and get it out there. It's again, it's a great medium because you can kind of do what you want as opposed to like trying to do a TV show or, or something like that. Right. So yeah, so you don't have to worry about uh, the, the runtime. I wouldn't think. No, we try to keep it at a certain length. Right. You know, we found like nine to 10 minutes. We found it was pretty good. People seem to like nine minutes, especially. Um, and because to get Peter to do it, like, he, cause he's been doing it so long and he's been approached by Netflix to do like a paranormal show and all these other shows. He, but he wants to keep it real. Like a lot of the shows kind of get into theatrics and staging things to kind of make, create viewer interest. His whole, he was very adamant about just keeping it as raw and real as possible and showing what it's like to go on these investigations, but still with the film bit and, and editing to make it still entertaining to watch. Yeah. And uh, Brian's been on before, but, uh, you know, for people who haven't, you know, seen those before, but uh, Echoes of Fear, uh, the movie we showed the trailer with, with Trista, uh, a lot of the inspiration for that is based in reality or, you know, your own house. Yeah. I mean, the, um, Basically, the entire like first 20 or 25 minutes uh, of the film, everything that happens was kind of inspired by this house that uh, Lo, my wife, uh, Laurence Lo, we moved into it. Within a year, we had all these experiences, which I kind of jotted down, um, but I didn't really know what the rest of the story was. It, it took a while to figure out the rest of the story. 
uh, I, I actually combined two other real events that didn't happen to us directly and weaved it together to form the story. But for purposes of today, I think what's most interesting is the stuff that we actually experienced firsthand in the house, which I really don't have an answer for any of it. Um, and we can talk about it, you know, later if we want to get into depth what those experiences yeah. were. But uh, it was very interesting because I never, I've always been interested. I've been a horror filmmaker for a long time. Uh, and my first memory is my dad who put a skeleton in my bed. So I'm three years old, and I come back the blanket, and there's a skeleton in my bed. Uh, and my second A fake memory, skeleton? There's a fake skeleton. Uh, all right, all right. All right. You're, you're three years old. A fake skeleton seems very real. Right, right, right. My, my second memory is my mom chewing out my dad for putting a skeleton in my bed. So that's my first memory. So I've always been, like, really interested um, in horror uh, and, you know, what's in the dark and, and you know, coming from the imagination and, and uh, what you experience. But before we moved in the house, I never had any direct experience. So it was just an interest I had, you know, and I loved hearing about ghost stories. and was always interested in that stuff. And from a, a fictional writing background, you know, we did we did another supernatural horror film. Our third film was Dark Remains, which was also a supernatural ghost movie. Um but it wasn't until we moved in the house the experiences. So it was very, it was very interesting to actually have, you know, after having an interest in it for a long time, to actually have the experience. Yeah, uh, Mariella and Robert, um, you you guys kind of explained your show there, but uh, can you explain it again? And uh, also, we if you guys want to talk briefly about uh, the documentary that we showed, which is amazing. Okay. Well. Okay, so we do this, we started this, um, the idea was to do a, a podcast, but to, you inspired us, Neil, <laughs> to, uh, but to do live streaming on where it's interactive with Facebook, because there's, I think everybody has some kind of a, a curious story or experience or they've heard something, and um in our culture, um, you know, being Hispanic and Native American, you know, we that's we grow up with those types of things, and so we wanted to be able to share with the the podcast or Curious Transmissions um, our stories, like culturally, but also hearing from other cultures' stories as well, if that makes sense. Um, so we talk about paranormal, we talk about, you know, just strange happenings. We talk about, you know, I don't know, maybe how Art Bell would have the conspiracy theories, not the crazy conspiracy theories <laughs> yeah, that you hear were, now. Right, right. Yeah. Um, they weren't so uh, dangerous to the world. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And, um... So we, we try to talk about that. We try to stay on topic, but it's just really hard. So you'll hear like the live, uh, I guess the Facebook live, you'll, we will have like a million different tangents go off. And so we're on literally, I don't know, just until about three in the morning. So we'll start at like seven and sometimes we're ending up at three in the morning because mm -hmm. um, we're just talking. And then um we'll bring on um filmmakers 
um, on the show that have had a somehow there's something strange or unusual that's happened around the making of their film. So we'll talk about that as well. So did I answer your question? Yeah. And, okay. and the fact that you, that you go off topic a lot is, yes, we is, do. Uh, it's clear that I did inspire this. <laughs> oh no! Well, <laughs> yeah, we we've never done that, Neil. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, did yeah, I? Yeah, that all Robert? Yeah, and I think uh, Robert could talk about the uh, the documentary that we played. Yeah, um, I've I've always been a believer. I've always have said that I want to find other people that have experienced things that I've experienced growing up um, as a child. Some, some, I, I guess I can have never found answers to these strange things that, uh, shadow type entities. And the thing is that maybe, uh, almost a decade ago, me and my brother were kind of just reminiscing about our old, our old home in Portland, Texas, where we grew up. And I started mentioning the a shadowed figure, like leaning out of the wall reaching for me and he just the look in his face and I'm like what 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 did I say something wrong and he goes you know Rob growing up that same room that you're talking about when you weren't living there anymore I used to see a shadowed creature or entity that would stand in the doorway and just stand there when nobody was home and I was there alone at home and he just said we've never shared these stories until now and it's like, could you imagine if we would have shared them back then? Because I don't know, it just—it was something that happened. My brother was, my brother's like seven, eight years younger than I am, so he was—he was a little kid at the time when it happened to me. And this started happening to him when he was um, in high school. That's about junior high, high school is when it happened to me. This weird entity or whatever it was. Um, the house now belongs to my my brother. But he is having weird, uh, unexplained shadows or or images in. Um, it's almost like reflections through glass because we got wind, uh, storm shutters. So when you close those shutters, if you don't have like curtains, you can actually make that mirror effect. Well, when he did that, he closed the wind the window shutters. He saw his father-in-law, who had already had passed away maybe 10 years prior, not at that house, but they, it, there's just something happening with that house. There's just a lot of weird activity, energy, or whatever it was. Um, I, I know that for a while there, I thought maybe he was following me or I was cursed because I, I just couldn't explain it. And somebody had told me, uh, a Native American said that, Sometimes we don't know how to explain these things, and they're not really curses. It's just we're trying to get in tune with our our true nature, but we've, we're not uh, trained in that. We're so far removed from the Native uh, uh, teachings that we don't understand what these are sometimes. And so uh, I was going to bring this up uh, with, with, uh, the, with Canada since there are, you know, Native Americans all over the place, I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if some of these, uh, and then maybe, uh, you know, your uh, Bradley, your uh, your area, 
if there is a, a strong native background in these parts because it just to me it seems that uh, this goes a lot deeper than you know you know trying to explain or, or whatever it is sometimes and uh, I've always been fascinated by this um, there's some other events that I could probably uh, talk about later but um, uh, the documentary that Neil mentions is I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Catula, Texas. It's a, it's a, it's a relatively small town that was basically founded on um, the fact that they found oil there. But when the oil boom left, the whole town just kind of, you know, all those people left except for those, you know, the, the people that decided to, to, uh, to you know, have their roots settle yeah, down there. Yeah. To have their roots there. Well, there's a curandero that, that lives there and people come from all over I, I guess you could say all over the world to come visit him and have their, have their cards read, uh, try to find healings for whatever ailments that they have. And this documentary that me, that we made, uh, we spent, um, it took several months to make, but the bulk of the, of the filming, uh, that took place in the feature length version of the film, uh, was during Holy week. We spent the whole week and we got to just stay with him and see what it was like to, to be in his shoes, you know, for this time, he, he has various farm properties. We saw him working on there. Uh, he had a, a, I don't know if he still has it, but it was a grocery store, but botanica. So they had like herbs and, you know, foods and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, sometimes livestock and all that. He would just, you know, like chicks and I don't know, it was around Easter time. So, you know, he has all this kind of stuff there and we just, um, the days that were so fascinating was when he was going to visit with clientele, they would start arriving about four o'clock in the morning and they had numbers there that everybody would start gathering numbers. By the time he was prepared around eight thirty or nine, his whole like uh, farmland lot was just loaded with cars and they were going to see one at a time, just like if you were seeing a doctor and, um, in, in our interviews with him, he, he said that I'm going to see everybody until the last person is seen. He'll start at like, like I was saying, my 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning. And sometimes he'll, you know, be visiting and, and doing these uh, cleansings and all that kind of stuff till about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, the following morning. And then uh, it, it's just a, a unique look at uh, uh, curanderos or shaman type of uh, healers that that are kind of scattered all over you got some kind of guys that will set up like in um, strip malls and stuff like that and you know they kind of uh, try to scare you with like oh no I'm looking at your cards you need to bring me $1,500 or else you're going to die and he's not that type of guy he if you have some money you want to give him something he's not asking for any money he wants to help people and um and that's what his purpose is, and, and that's what our documentary kind of focuses on. It's all in Spanish, so uh, we're, we're we're trying to get it uh, translated uh, so that way uh, people can kind of see it. We we showed a, a short version, right? With, with the severed, well, fil- severed limbs yeah. uh, film festival, the first one we did, and uh, mm-hmm. everyone loved it. it was a big. Uh, it was hit. one of my favorite ones. I just that blew my mind. Uh, oh, thank well, you guys. Thank you. thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. loved it. But, but yeah, that's you know that's uh, we we've experienced firsthand and you know um well in that in that documentary uh it it does uh have an exorcism in there that um 
I guess that was like one of the major components of it. That's why we put it in the short, but um, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always fascinated me. I've always been looking for other people that have experienced, uh, you know, strange phenomenon in their, in their homes. Uh, some people go to, uh, so you believe in this stuff? And I'm like, well, I know what I've seen. Can I explain it? No, but I would like to see more of it. And I guess it's like a drug. I, you know, I, I don't, I was going to ask you guys, you know, some people get weirded out or tripped out and they don't want to be around these things. But to me, it's a, it's a fascination that, you know, I want, I want to try to explain what these are. And I know that they can be kind of scary, but I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I try not to tempt the fates if it is uh, a dangerous thing, but I, I just, I'm just completely fascinated by, by this type. Well, that's a good question for everybody. You know, the, what, what Robert was saying there, uh, well, obviously, probably uh, you, Jason, it is something that you want to, you know, uh, find out more about. Well, absolutely. That's why you do it, right? Like you have your own personal experiences uh, that kind of drive you. You know, and I've been, had stuff go on since I was a kid, especially after my father passed away, uh, that I couldn't explain. So you want to find answers. Um, and, and, you know, I was, a, like I said, a journalist. And I covered crime primarily for 10 years. And, you know, what, so a lot of people die in accidents and murders and stuff. And it just you just start to wonder what happens after we die. Um, and that, yeah, it drives, it drives everything, you know, it was even with Peter, everyone on the show, like we all believe to varying degrees, but we want to, to know what's happening and you want, you keep looking for that proof that you can get. Um, our, our big thing, one of the people on the crew, Sean, he actually does like actual investigations, like, you know, in terms of like casinos and stuff and to prevent gambling and theft. So he's very big on actual evidence so that you can prove it. The problem is with paranormal stuff, your evidence is based on like it. EVP, you know, electronic voice recording, um, still shots that people are always going to call bullshit on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially in this mm-hmm. day and age of, of the internet. Um, but we've, we've seen things like, you know, and primarily EVPs, which I know Brian has a question he wanted to ask about what some of the EVPs we got, especially one that we got through a spirit box, uh, about, we got the word demon. We asked it to give a name. Uh, the, the name that it came up with was, you know, a demon. It was, it's very clear. Um, but then you go, well, is, okay, with a spirit box, it, I don't know if you guys know how they work, but it kind of runs through different audio channels with static. And if something kind of punches through that's clear, that's an intelligent response to a question, like you ask for a name, you get like, you know, like, what's your name? And it goes, Trista. Well, then you, that has more weight than just gobbledygook. So when we asked a name, we got a demon. And there's a guy on site who lives in the build, the hotel which keeps saying he's being visited by some dark force in his room that he it's tormenting him. He's yelling at it and swearing at it and trying to get it to leave. So you, that kind of creates a little more evidence that there could be something there because he's calling this a demon as well, right? So you, you get stuff like that, but that's about as tangible as it gets next to something walking into the room in front of you that's like, you know, full spirit kind of thing and punches you and you fall over and then it disappears. <laughs> you know, that's it, as good as it can kind of get. Um, we got one in an upcoming show we were using a laser grid in this basement um, and we were in there. The lights were all on. You, it's a room. You could sort of all see all the stuff in it. We turn out the lights and put the grid on and it looked like there was a shape standing against the wall. It was like an outline of what could be a person. Holy shit. Turn the light on. Nothing's there. Turned it off. It's the same anomalies there. You could actually walk over and put your arm through it, move things around, move the laser grid around, but that shape of a person was constantly there. And, and eventually we'd, we turned the light on and off again and it was gone. It was just completely gone. And we got that on film that we're going to show in an upcoming episode. That's wow. Yeah, you're, you're right, Rob. The more you see that, the more you're driven to want to know more. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's as tangible as anything really seems to get yeah. in the years that I've been doing. And Sim Peter said that too, but he has actual pictures of full spirits that he's caught at haunted sites. You know, mm-hmm. and he's seen things move. And he, he's even there was a dark shape in a hallway that he actually walked through. Oh wow! So it appeared in front of him. He's like, I don't know what else to do. And he just walked through it, and he felt like an electrical charge, and it disappeared. Mm-hmm. So he's seen a lot more than I have. But it's yeah, the more you, the more things like that that happen, the more you you gotta find out more and try to get as many answers as you can. Uh, Brian, how about yourself? Because uh, you know, yours is a little different since it's your home. Like, is it something you try to you know? Uh, find more about it or get in more contact with it? Well, it started, you know, the, I don't know uh, if this is normal because it's never uh, happened to us before, but it kind of started out as being a progression of things. I mean, this house has um, like these intercom system because it's, it's a weird house. It's stair stepped up a hill. So every floor is kind of set back against the previous floor, almost like steps up the hill, each level of the floor. So there's like an intercom system, which one of the first things that we experienced was the intercom system kind of triggering on its own and then making this distorted noise and sound, which is like, okay, well, you know, I guess it's got a loose wire or something, but it it was very random. It wasn't consistent, and the box did work if you push the talk button, but no one was there to push the talk button when it, when it happened no one was on another floor so it's like things like that and then there were like um there were noises in the pipes that we would hear and then there'd be footsteps in the hall that we would hear at night like someone walking and then the first big one really was we heard like this um cat this like almost like a cat fight but it was just one cat but it was like caterwauling just like not meowing just like a cat freaking out and we couldn't figure out where it was. And then we went down the steps and this house is like riddled with like these crawl spaces underneath every floor. And we went through the laundry room and through a little closet. And then we found a little door and we went into this crawl space. And, you know, that's where the noise was coming from because it was right underneath our master bedroom. So we traced it down that it was coming in this crawl space. But then we climbed into the crawl space with our flashlights and everything. And, and, and there was no cat and there was no way a cat could get in and we went back the next day to see if like maybe there was an opening led to the outside the cat could have gotten in and then left and so that was kind of weird but then it's um what got me was when i started seeing which is very interesting what you were saying i started seeing the uh i don't know what you want to call them uh shadow shapes i don't know but i i like woke up and and there was like a a, a form I don't know why it was female, but something about the shape told me it was female, but um, she was sitting at like the foot of the bed, like with her back towards me. I could see her head turned and her back was towards me and she was kind of sitting off to the side. And I stared at that a long time. (laughs) Uh, And then it went away. And that was like the first one. And that was like, well, that was kind of weird and spooky. But then I woke up and and, um, there was one standing in the master bathroom and it's the same kind of form but then she rushed towards me and then I jumped up in bed screaming my head off and then it was gone um so it was some experiences like that which rattled me but at the same time and it freaked me out it's hard to go back to sleep but um you know I wasn't physically harmed so I had a natural curiosity about it I wasn't physically harmed 
So it wasn't like, you know, running out of the house. Like in a horror movie, if someone yeah. saw that, they'd be so upset if the character didn't just run out of the house, you know, immediately. But, you know, that's not really what you do in real life. Because, you know, you're curious, well, at least for me, I mean, I'm curious about it. And then uh, Lo, my wife, she wakes up and she's really mad because she woke up to me yelling my head off, uh, which is another thing, which is distracting, I guess. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I talk about this in a behind the scenes on the Echoes of Fear Blu-ray that after we did the movie and shot the movie here and we redid some of the stuff that we had experienced, we just, you know, put it in story form, but we took the experiences and put it in the movie. After we did that and showed it at some festivals, then nothing happened in the house. So I was like joking around like, oh, that's how you exercise your house. You do it in horror <laughs> film and it's a very difficult yeah way to do that, you know, and I, you know, it's like there has to be a better way of doing that. So I did that as a joke in the Q and A's as the film played around for a year. But then it was weird after we did the behind the scenes and talked about it, then stuff started happening again, but very sporadic. Like the speaker went off again when it hadn't gone off in like a year, hadn't done anything. Uh, and then I woke up in the night and there was a shape at the base of the bed, but it was no longer a female shape. It was a, a mat shape. It was, uh, it was weird. It was just the head and very big, broad shoulder. Um, and kind of screamed my head off on that one. And that was different. So that one kind of rattled me a lot, I guess, because I got used to the other. <laughs> it was, you know, it's like, um, but that, I mean, that was months ago and nothing's happened, uh, you know, since then. So I feel like whatever it was has, has ebbed down a lot. And I don't know if it's because I started talking about it. We did the movie, which made for conversations. And I did a lot of Q&As and interviews where I would talk about these things. And maybe in a way that had something to do with it. But I don't know. I mean, I definitely am not a expert in any sense of the word. And I have a curiosity to it, but I, I have no idea what it means. You know. I think a lot of the times we hear about it just doing investigations, these hauntings or, or apparitions happen because they want to get attention. They're trying to say, get mm -hmm. attention or, or get some, like, like even in your movie, right? There's something that they want resolved in, in some way. And I think even just by half the time acknowledging that something's there, it gets better for lack of a better word. You know what I mean? Just, mm -hmm. I don't know. That's just been a reoccurring theme that we've had when we've done actual just cases with Vancouver Paranormal, even just stuff. I've on my own, my own research, it seems to be very common that as soon as you kind of acknowledge it, it, it gets better. And if it's something you don't want there, you just got to tell it to get out. Like it's my house, go away. And quite often that does work. Actually, you know, It's weird. It's like, I didn't feel like I should do that. Uh, and I don't know why, um, but I didn't feel like I was in a position to ask that. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's weird. I don't know why that would be, but it didn't feel like an appropriate, um, I don't know. It didn't feel appropriate. Is that weird? I don't know. No. It, it didn't, um, it's funny. It's like I never even thought about that. I never even thought about like, uh, dark entity be gone. You know, <laughs> 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 it never occurred to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and maybe it's because of, like I said, the curiosity part of it. And um, I guess one thing that I've felt, and, you know, like I said, I have no basis on anything uh, other than my personal experience. But one, one of the things I've always thought about, and I tried to put this in the 
in the movie a little bit, Echoes of Fear, is I, I, I oftentimes wonder if there really is like a firm division between, you know, a haunting being in your mind and a haunting being out there um, or these experiences being in your head versus out there. Sometimes I wonder if there's like, that's a very, um, I don't know, it's like that's, that's like a simple way of looking at it. I think I put a line in Echoes of Fear where Trista's friend, her character's friend says like, well, whether it's out there or in there, uh, a ghost or entity, entity is going to reach you in your head because it's only by being processed in your head that you react to anything. Mm-hmm. So then it's like the idea of whether something's in your head versus out there, for me, it kind of falls apart a little bit because everything we process is in our head. So then it's like, well, if there was like an energy or whatever in the outside world that wanted to make contact with you, well, there's no way they could make contact with you unless they, you know, unless they got inside your head. Now you could say it was like whether they could just directly, you know, reach inside your head and mind or whether they need to go through the eyes or the ears, you know, and actually do it in a physical way to reach inside your brain. I don't know, but I found that interesting the more I thought about it. Because I was like trying to figure out like, well, am I having like a, a dream state uh, experience where even even though I, I think I'm awake, I feel like I'm 100% awake. And even when it's over, I'm awake. I'm not like, you know, like in a horror film waking up out of bed again. You know, that's not happening. But even though I feel that way, I was like curious, like, well, maybe that's not true. But then, you know, Lo would wake up and I'm awake. So it's like, you know, I don't know. And because as a kid, I used to have, uh, uh, I guess I still do occasionally, I used to have night terrors, uh, which is a very different thing. Um, where you are awake. I mean, you are asleep and you wake up screaming without really having a connection to it. But this was different than that. And I think that's one of the, one of the things that, that, um, helped me feel like something more was going on because I had experienced night terrors before and I knew what that felt like. And I knew that this felt very different than a night terror. Although Lo did make fun of me on one of Neil's other shows by playing, we have a Nest camera system. Play, <laughs> like the audio of it recording me screaming my head off after I saw uh, <laughs> the audio of me just yelling yeah. like mad, like this ridiculous scream. Which I, I, I think should, people I, would I, laugh. People would I, laugh in a whole thing. I think it should be the Wilhelm scream of, of your future, yeah, you know, it's just, projects. <laughs> it sounds silly, it, it, but it's real. You know, it's a real panic scream. doesn't sound like a movie. Story. Right. Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. I'm, I'm finding so much parallels with what you've been uh, talking about, your experience. Uh, when when I saw the, the shadowed entity or whatever you want to call it, in the wall because it mm-hmm. what what it was i was uh see you were talking about energy and if we're you know how how this is being uh manifested um i i was i went to bed angry and mm-hmm. the thing is that i was uh in i, I want to say i was in junior high and i was upset and i went to bed in that state I, I know I went to bed. Next thing I know, something is like calling me. I'm not saying they're calling my name. It just, I, it was like a sense, like, like something's calling me. I open my eyes and I look up at the wall 
and there's a dark entity like on the wall and then it starts kind of leaning forward like reaching for me i i started screaming i was like and the next thing i know my my mom and my brother uh he's about three years uh, younger than i was so he was i don't know and so they come running in turning on the lights and i'm like i'm pointing at the wall and i'm looking away and i said there's something trying to get me it's in the wall it's coming at me and they turn the lights on and my brother's like dude there's nothing here it's a blank wall and i'm like no it was trying to get me there's something that was reaching for me um I know what I saw. It scared me to death. I mean, they, they thought I was being murdered. I mean, um, I, I know what I thought I saw, you know, but like I said, it was, it, I didn't know if it was because I was angry. Now zoom ahead to, I want to say like, it was before I got married to my wife. So it was either 1999, uh, somewhere around that time. Me and a friend of mine worked at a nonprofit organization that was um, basically a three-person operation. So we were always looking forward to getting our paychecks. Well, we we were both roommates in the same place. Uh, We weren't going to get paid that weekend, and we had bills to pay. We were both upset. So now I'm, I'm, I'm upset again. He's upset. So we decide to go back to the house. Uh, we have all kinds of equipment. We took over the living room of this person's house that we were living in. We all had our own rooms, but we had a full-blown 10-piece drum set, amplifiers, guitars, and all that. And we decided, you know what? Let's just jam out. We're all pissed off. Let's go ahead and just rock out and stuff. So we're just you know, playing like Nine Inch Nails and all kinds of stuff, and we're just looking down. My drummer, the, he's a drummer, so he's just playing and looking down and this, that, and the other. And it's just getting – it's like a train. Me and him, we're just playing. It's just getting real intense, real intense. And then I look up and I'm like, what the fuck? And then he slowly looks up from the drums and I shit you not. If he wasn't there, there's no way anybody would uh, believe what I, what I saw. It was a ball of energy between us, just hovering between me and him as we were aggressively playing this music. And we were both just there. I looked past that energy ball at him, and he looked at me, and we were like, what the hell? And he went, bam, he hit the drums like that, and I, you know, strummed the guitar. That ball of energy flew into a TV that was not plugged in, and it just flew into the TV. We were like, what the hell did we just see? And I know that we were both upset. Now, I don't know if it has to do with anger and like I said, there's things that I don't know that happen that are unexplained and I'm always looking to hear, you know, you know, states of mind that or people are angry or whatever. But to me, if he wasn't there, nobody would believe Mm -hmm. when I'm telling this story about what was happening. I I was totally shocked by by all of that. Um and I was, you know, I was already, a, man, how, when was that? Well, yeah, 99. That was like almost 20, over 20 years ago that that, that, that happened. It's just, it was just the most bizarre, bizarre thing that I, I've, I don't know. That was in Flower Bluff, Texas. And I know that 
There's, there's a lot of Native American uh, burial grounds around here and in, in where we're at. Um, we had the Karankwas, we had uh, the Lipan Apache. I think they're Apache. Um, there's a lot of Native American uh, yeah. burial we're, grounds in this area. So off, off, we, we live so close to the water. Uh, this area, and, and it's a large stretch. Like if you guys have ever seen the Gulf of Mexico, like where Sao Padre and all that, well, where we are, um, and I don't even know how, how big it is. It's the third largest uh, Indian burial ground as far as shelf go, goes. And it's been designated as that. And it, it, it stretches like all along our our coast up until Ingleside, Texas, all the way down to past Corpus Christi area. And so there's always been some kind of development happening. Uh, they'll, they'll start building uh, apartments and stuff and they'll run across bones and here comes, you know, the, uh, they're trying to survey and then, you know, they bring in the, you know, everybody, everybody needs to take a look at this. The only problem is though, there was no construction happening. I want to say maybe about 10 years ago, some kind of deal was made because now there are, you know, uh, apartments galore where they swore up and down that there was Indian burial grounds and all this. I don't understand how they're building all this stuff on top of all this because I didn't see anybody moving any of these bones or anything of that nature. It's just, it's a travesty. I know that they're going to build some kind of monument for the native Americans that I honestly don't know if that's just a, you know, they're just trying to tell the people to kind of, Hey, let's make a deal or whatever. But, um, it's all there. I mean, it's been documented all the all the the Indian burial grounds that they have around here and stuff like that. It's just uh, I don't know money 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 talks. You know what I mean? And they're going to build whatever they want. Uh, poltergeist is very real. You know what they were yeah, that's doing. That's what I was it's, thinking about. Was poltergeist yeah, totally? Yeah. No, no. I'm I'm not as familiar with it from um, the Native American culture. Do they have um, stories of like energy like that, of like seeing like what you experience with seeing like a ball or orb of energy, like you were describing seeing? Is that from the uh, culture or? I mean, it's it's well. See, that's the that's the thing. I'm trying to find uh, the the thing is that even even as far as what tribes and stuff like that 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 we are, we're so far removed from that because. Um, I, you know, just, yes, you were, you were persecuted if you let people know that you were of Native American. Uh, it was better to be considered Mexican and you ended up changing your name and then you end up fitting in. Uh, there's a, there's more of a movement, I feel, that people trying to locate and find their true identity in their, in their tribes and stuff like that. Um, I mean, if you really think about the, the history of Texas, uh, 1836 and stuff like that. I mean, they, they were becoming a, the, the battle of the Alamo and all that kind of stuff. They barely became a, a, a state. Uh, that's not that long ago. Um, the, the wounds are too fresh for, for everybody in these parts. Um, uh, as far as the ball of energy and do native Americans see this? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I just know that, um, I do get lots of strong premonitions um, sometimes I, 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 I mean, I've documented these things and I've talked with, you know, very close family members and stuff like that, or friends, you know, you could either chalk it up to, wow, you just, you're just hitting the number on the head all the time by, you know, 
by chance or you just got really strong vibes. Uh, and, and that is, that was the thing where I was saying that I, I sometimes believe uh, when I was younger that it was a curse of some time because whenever I would get really strong vibes, um, I would get worried and then all of a sudden something would happen. Uh, I'll, I'll do one real, real quick one. It was, uh, it was an art project that we had to do industrial arts. You have, um, it's when you get a piece of copper and then you draw, I guess the impression on it and then you get a doyle and you push it. So it pushes out. Okay. I had no idea what I wanted to do at first. I was like, well, maybe I'll do a car. Maybe I'll do this. So I decided, uh, you know, I got to draw it out. So I'm gonna draw the space shuttle. And then the next thing I know, I don't, I don't realize what I'm doing, but my friend goes, why are you laughing? I go, what are you talking about? He, you've been giggling as you've been drawing. And he looked down at my picture and he goes, dude, that's fucked up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You drew the space shuttle on fire. I'm like, oh, dude, I don't know what the hell I was doing. And I started racing it. 24 hours later, I have a split lunch. So it's a class that starts. Then we go to lunch. Then we come back. Well, when we came back from lunch, my teacher was crying and I was like, Mr. Eco, what's, what's wrong? He goes, you, did, you haven't heard? Well, we've been at school all day. I haven't heard anything. The space shuttle just blew up today. And I'm looking, I look back at my area and I'm like, I just drew that yesterday. What are you talking about? She goes, yeah, it blew up. And I was just completely like in shock. I'm like, okay, did I, by coincidence, drew a space shuttle blowing like on fire or whatever? Or was it just a big coincidence? Or was that a sign? Because my friends were like, yeah, dude, you were kind of giggling to yourself and you were drawing. But I didn't realize that I was giggling. Like if I was in some kind of trance or I don't know. I don't want to use that word because you were over focused. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, other than the picture with erased fire and I was trying to tell all my friends that were there, they go, yeah, dude, you drew the fuck the picture. And I go, well, she just said that the thing exploded and we're like, okay, that's messed up. Coincidence. I don't know. There've been other incidences that have happened where I have a strong feeling and then I end up finding out the next day that something happened to a, a person or or a celebrity having a strong vibe about something and, and this, that, and the other. It's just like, – like I said, I, I, I ended up talking to somebody, and he says, you know what? It, it could be you're getting these vibes that you're more – you're not in tune with – maybe there's something more to it. And that's, that's the only thing I, I – you know, as far as explaining what a ball of energy – my friend saw it too. So, you know, I don't know what his connection would be into that or if it's just, we made that. I mean, it almost sounds like something out of avatar, you know, we're gathering together and we're creating all this stuff. I don't know. It's just, um, uh, I don't know. I know that he started having unusual events following him when he moved out and, uh, he had invited us over and he said, man, there's been strange stuff in the new place that I have. He invited me and my wife. We had already had our baby at the, at the time, and we went over to his place. And it was all, you know, he's really into gothic stuff, typo negative and lava lamps and the cure and all this stuff. And and it was like going into some kind of dungeon in his place. He had a big old pool table in the in the room, but he didn't want to hang out there. He goes, no, let's go to my office. I'm like, you don't want to hang out here, man? It's look pretty badass here. He goes, not yet. Okay, why not now? So anyway, we take. We were over there and then he proceeds to tell us, do you remember that ball of energy thing and all that that happened? I go, yeah, 
well, there's weird shit that's happening at this new place that I'm at. And then he starts explaining all these things that are moving pictures, like pictures of margaritas that are flying off the shelves and all this. I'm like, okay. And it's happening where he goes, this the, the room that I did not stop. And I said, okay, well, let's go take a look. So I start like looking around and I'm like, okay, that's unusual. I look above one of the doors. There's this weird kind of, um, it's, it, it, it's not a smoke detector and it wasn't a, um, it didn't, it didn't look like anything modern. It just looked like this weird kind of detector that was, uh, like of the walls here it was kind of just bubbled out here, but it was a detector of some kind over a door. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And then I said, that's not a regular smoke detector. And then I looked and he had three sinks, deep basin sinks. Like if he was in a, like a restaurant, I'm like, well, what the hell are those over there? He goes, I don't know. They've always been here. There's three deep basins over here. And I'm like, oh shit. And I go to his pool table and I look under the pool table and there in the center is a drain right in the middle of his living room. I go, dude, you live in a morgue, dude. I'm going to say that sounds like an autopsy. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That's he, really- yeah it, we looked it up. It was, it was basically like, uh, it was, it was a house that was, that was, you have an upstairs and a downstairs Well, the downstairs was the morgue and the family would live upstairs. Oh my and God. He did not know that that's where he lived. I'm like, dude, well, that's why all this crap is happening in your new place. No shit. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. It was just the most bizarre thing. I go, okay, well, thank you for showing me your creepy house. And, you know, <laughs> but, uh, Wow. He, yeah, he had somebody come and and do a cleansing, but the funny thing was that he told me afterwards that he kind of missed those crazy things happening around the place, and that's where you know it's like you kind of miss it, and then you're wondering where it went, and then, but he said it never came back after they did a cleansing. So I don't know; it's very unusual. It's His, interesting yeah. the the energy thing because there's, there's a strong belief in the paranormal investigation community that spirits are like electromagnetic energy. Right. And then that's why they need energy to manifest. You get the cold spot. So there's been lots of discussion, like emotion will drive that. You hear that with like poltergeist activity of someone, especially young people going through girl going through puberty, that'll cause it. People who are like anger can bring that about. So that's an interesting example of that. And I know I've been doing a lot of reading. I do a lot of research, but I've been reading up on Skinwalker ranch right now. And they got a lot of cases of orbs, that's what the investigator, they spent like three years, scientific team at the ranch looking into it. It's on, it's on a reservation and a lot of orbs and people all over the reservation there in Utah have been seeing just balls of light and energy flying around. So that's kind of, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm, 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 like I said, I'm a believer. Um, I'm always uh, looking to see and our, our children uh, grew up with imaginary friends but the thing is, because of their age differences, I never heard them simultaneously playing together, talking about these guys. But for some reason, one would outgrow it, and then the other one would start talking about it, like some friend. And we're like, who are you talking about? And then they end up, it's the same people. And I'm like, what, what are you talking they about? All, there's, yeah. Was it all three? There was three, all three of yeah. them? All three of them. All three of them, um, with the exception of our oldest. We have a total of four kids. Um, all the three younger ones all had the same imaginary friends. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably weren't that imaginary then. Oh no! no. So yeah, according to the Curandero, isn't is it the fourth, the the oldest? Is it? I don't know what would make a difference, but is it the the fourth, the oldest one, a female, and the, and the other three are are the? No, the so our two oldest are female, um, and the two youngest are are male. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, there. Um, it was interesting that that uh, you you guys brought up something else. Uh, I don't know if Mariela wants me to bring it up, but um, she. Um, I want to say, well, I don't know. Do you want to talk about that? The lucid, yeah. lucid dream. Okay. Oh. I mean, I can explain it just real. You can real. explain it, but like just a back history. When I, ever since I can remember, I would always like sleep paralysis. I guess. I would always experience that. Um, I haven't experienced it, I don't think, in a long time, have I? Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a while. But um, mainly it was at that apartment. The The apartment that we used to live in was untouched farmland for the longest time. And so nothing was ever developed on there except this farm community and whatever was prior to them. And... um so they built, we were the first people to live into this apartment complex with, you know, and we had been there way too long, <laughs> but uh, that's where our kids had these uh, imaginary friends, Jake and Snakey. That's what their names were. And uh, it was like a little, a little boy. And uh, the word Indian boy had come up a couple of times. Well, my wife was, see, the thing is, that, okay, I'm going to, when I say this, people are going to go, oh, well, she was hallucinating. She was not feeling well. She had a fever, and she was laying down on the couch. I actually had pneumonia, and so I was, yeah. like, really, really sick. So so she was laying down, and I was there next to her, and our um, – I want to say it was Hondo. He's our, uh, our oldest boy. And we were there going to watch her. He was in a playpen right next to the couch. So every time she would make a noise, he was like a wrestler. You know, he was going from one end to the other, and then he would stop and look over the thing and look at her to make sure she was okay. And then we'd go back to watching TV. Well, she started mumbling. And I was like, I turned, I'm like, like, I'm trying to listen to what she's saying. And then he just looks and stares intently like, like he's trying to decipher the same thing. It's like, this is a little baby, but he is like intent, like staring, trying to get whatever communication my wife is mumbling. And as I'm getting closer and closer, she's like, look behind you. She's going to kill you. And I'm like, she's going to kill me. What the hell are you seeing? And, and then she's got like her eyes barely open. And then I can see that she looks over to this other side. There's a little boy standing there like a little boy and then she goes there's a woman and then she started breathing really hard behind you there's a woman in black she's going to kill you she's going to kill you and I'm like okay I'm going to have to slowly try to wake her up because I don't know if this shit's going to really do, kill me or what and I slowly kind of like Mariela are you okay are you okay I'm like what the hell did you see and she goes there was a woman in black wearing a black dress with the uh, scythe or whatever it is that you cut the grass or the, the, the you know she goes, he, she was going to raise that thing and just slice the shit out of you. But there was the little Indian boy standing over there just watching this whole thing happen. And the first thing I thought of, is that my kid's imaginary friend that she saw? 
or was she seeing something from long ago in this farmland or I don't know, maybe this is a badass fever that I wish I had. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Heck of a fever. Holy. Yeah, but you know, but, but if there were like other things developed on this piece of land, like, Oh, many things have come and gone department stores and whatever. No, it was intact farmland. It was a big track of land and um, they, they, the family had owned it forever. They had never wanted to part with it. And then eventually there was all these stipulations. You could look it up in Corpus. They were like claws and, and set things in, in writing that uh, it was never to be sold. It had to be for uh, educational and all this. But then we're developing apartment complexes again, you know, and we're doing all this stuff. These people are not happy that this is happening to their land. So I don't know. They even had a school at one time, a little, a little schoolhouse, and that got moved away so they could build a whole strip mall. And as long as they put the, the woman's property name on the new school, everybody was hunky-dory and fine with all that. So I don't know. It's just, you know, it's just a little funny business that ends up happening, and you wonder how much of all of that's kind of connected with yeah. stuff. Well, I know even yeah. in uh, We Want to Believe uh, – Someone had mentioned uh, it was in one of the episodes that um, some uh, it might just be some people are more attuned or, or uh, you know uh, pick up vibes more than other people. Definitely, like there there does seem to be just instances that some people are more open to it. Um, I know, like Peter, he's tuned right in. It seems to be people who experience some form of trauma in their lives seem to be sort of able to see more. I know, like like I mentioned after my father passed away, I just started picking up on more vibes. And it, I always wonder if it's because you you know, you want to see something, there's always that to take into connection. And when, when you go to someone's home to do an investigation, there's a whole line of questioning, you know, are you, are you schizophrenic? <laughs> do you, do you, oh, yeah. drugs, alcohol? you know what I mean? To make, are you sound mental, mental stability? And if all those are yes, then, then you're more, you go in with a more open mind, but even then you want to look for natural experience causes first. Right. Oh, yeah. But I definitely think there's people, those of us that are more, in tune to what is happening around. I don't know if it's because of your part of your brain's more wired that way, or the more that you experience, the more open to it you become, or, or you have something like what happened to Brian, but you get so freaked out. You just, you turn it off and you stop, <laughs> stop seeing it. Like I know after when my son was born, the last thing I wanted, cause I'd see stuff all the time and I see stuff even in the house that I'm living in. Now. I just didn't want it around. So I, I just turned off my mind to it. And then many years later, when my mother started getting sick and passed away, it's just like everything just opened up again. Um, so I, I think your life experiences definitely will tap you into it more so than people who just have no interest at all and, and just don't care and don't want it. I think some people just don't want to believe because then, you know, there's a whole other world of possibilities that you're opening yourself up to, right? Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Uh, by the way, uh, Don, uh, I noticed uh, you zoomed in. Uh, hello, Don. Hi, hello, how Don. are you? Hello. Uh, I, I, I've I've couple, to you before. Yeah, I've got a couple stories for you. Uh, okay. Along the lines of mortuaries, uh, there is a, a playhouse in South Pasadena called the Fremont Center Theater. And it was a former mortuary. And um, we were doing a play there. And it was intermission. And um, they had this love seat on the stage. And during intermission, uh, we saw this two little hands come up and peek over the, the love seat and went down and just disappeared. Oh. The lights dipped. <laughs> The second act went on, and afterwards, everyone in the, uh, in the lobby was saying, did anyone else see that little blonde-haired girl? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, And there were some ghost hunters there, so they came back in weeks later, and 
did a survey of the house, uh, the, the mortuary and the, the theater, and uh, they saw St. Mary's there and everything. But two years later, I'm working on a Ray Bradbury play, uh, The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit, and we're prepping the set. And we're carrying this little small um, pool table. And I'm walking in backwards, and the person in front of me, you know, facing me, uh, this little hand comes up and touches my wrist and taps it a couple times. <laughs> I turn and say, hey, good to see you. He drops a pool table and says, what the hell was that? I said, oh, that's a little ghost girl. You know? <laughs> and so really cool. But um, this one uh, really strikes close to home to me. Um, my sister was in intensive care, uh, and she had cancer. And I'm at home, and I'm sleepy, and it's like 8 o'clock in the morning. I wake up, and I can't breathe. I feel like I have water in my lungs, and I'm gagging, and I'm choking. and and all of a sudden, I had this calmness about me, and I kind of lay back down on my bed, and I shoot back up again, and I, I couldn't breathe. It was like I was suffocating. Then another calmness happened, and I, I went to sleep and woke up. I didn't think much about it, but I was just kind of, wow, what the hell happened? Later that night, um, I hear that my sister passed away earlier in the day. Aww. And uh, so... Um, And this was on December 4th, and my birthday is December 8th. So we had her memorial on my birthday on that Saturday, and it's pouring rain. And my brothers pick me up, and I get in the car, and my one brother, who's a pastor, he said, oh, I can't believe this is happening. I just looked at him, and I said, hey, don't worry. I said, when we get there, the rain's going to stop. The clouds are going to open up. It's going to be a sunny day. We'll have the service. And then when everyone gets back in the car, the clouds will close and it'll start raining again. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, right. My other brother says, you don't know our little brother that will do you. So we get to um, the site and we park the car and it's still pouring rain. And my brother turns to me and says, oh, smart guy. It's still raining. And I said, no, not everyone's here. So my mom and dad were the last ones to pull into the parking lot. And as soon as my dad parked his truck, the rain stopped, the clouds parted. We had the service, and we all got back in the car, and as soon as the last person went in the car, the clouds folded back in, and it started to pour rain again. Wow. And so, uh, but the story doesn't end there. Um, A couple days later, I'm talking with one of my brothers, and he said, "Um, did you hear what happened? And I said, what? He said, well, mom and dad were there when Melody passed away, and he started to tell the story. And I turned white as a ghost, he said, because he's telling the story. And what happened was she was in her bed and she shot up and she couldn't breathe. And she's, <gasps> she kind of relaxed, fell back down and then she shot up again. And then she kind of went back and just went into a, a calmness and passed away right then and there. So, uh, so yeah, just this exactly connection. Like so, you. Holy oh. cow. so yeah. And, a lot of stuff like that's happened in my life, and uh, here where I live, occasionally I, I hear a voice talking to me. Uh, I was asleep, and I was supposed to get up, and uh, time to wake up, Donald. And uh, what? And um, But one thing that was somewhat uh, touching is that my dog, Jasper, passed away of cancer. Oh. And um, I'll put all those toys away and, you know, and I went to bed, and during the night, I hear a squeak toy going. 
And I kind of half half awake, half asleep. I said, Jasper, your dad loves you, but please, I got to get up and work in the morning. And um, didn't really think much about it. So I go to work. I come home, and I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, and I put my foot down, and I step on a squeak toy. I pick it up. It's the squeak toy that I packed away earlier that night before. So stuff like that happens to me all the time. So wow. But it's great seeing it. They're making me cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 they're so they're so profound. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Well, that's okay. It's great seeing everyone. You as well. Yeah. 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 John, that's yeah, thank amazing. you so much for sharing those. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for um, Trista. By the way, I, I, I hate to call on you now after time, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, how did you get involved in doing uh, the paranormal investigation? Like, when did you become interested in that? Oh, so I did a movie, a, a horror movie in Big Bear, and then that filmmaker also started doing paranormal investigations, and he started um, inviting me to come along with him. Was that. it something you had interest in, like, before that, or...? Um, similar, I guess, to horror, I had interest, but had sort of suppressed it. Mm -hmm. Um, because, so then, I started going on these paranormal investigations. Also, I shot Echoes of Fear and started hearing about Brian's stories. And then when we did the, um, special features for Echoes of Fear, Brian asked us if we had ghost stories to contribute from our personal life. And at first I said no, and then I I reconsidered because I remembered that I had a couple incidents from my childhood, and that I actually in my childhood was um, super obsessed with death, um, maybe as a result of these incidents, and then um, sort of realized that I should stop talking about it so much because people were sort of confused. <laughs> Uh, namely, my parents were like, okay, go to bed, like, um, not really understanding what I was talking about. So, I, I mean, I think it gave me a real phobia of death because I had some scary experiences. So I would stay up and be like, hey, guys, when I die, um, don't bury me in the ground, just like keep me here, okay? And then they'd be like, okay, <laughs> like, please go to bed now. <laughs> and so it, that was happening regularly. Like when I'd be going to bed, I was afraid I wouldn't wake up. I was like very obsessed with death, especially around bedtime. And so it started to like creep them up. I'd be creep them out rather because I'd be negotiating like, were you guys like, okay, well, if you won't prop me up on the couch, like, can you keep me in the basement? Like, please, just like, if I do not wake up, like, do not put me in the ground. <laughs> so my parents were so creeped out and people were very disturbed by me. So I stopped talking about it. Right. <laughs> so then by the time I met Brian and we were talking about doing this thing for the movie, I really had completely forgot about it. So now that, uh, and then also just by happenstance being invited on these investigations and then seeing enough during the investigations to keep going, um, I guess that's how. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jason, when did you like, uh, was this something you were always interested in? 
Yeah, it started like I had an interest with it like as a as a teenager. I, I, it's kind of funny when you talk about like everyone that's into paranormal stuff is into horror. Mm-hmm. It seems it's kind of this interesting back and forth. And I, I got really there's a movie called The Beast Must Die, which is like a Peter Cushion movie from '74 that I saw on TV when I was like eight, and it scared the shit out of me. I couldn't sleep for two weeks. And that's kind of when I remember that first interest in fear. You know what I mean? Like that that dark side, and that then buddies of mine and I would just kind of go out and we'd look at scary places and stuff like that. Uh, and we were out in the woods actually out at a place called Chushwap Lake. Uh, and it was about dusk and we were kind of out on this hike and we came across, it was underneath this tree and it's like this lean to, but it was like a little lean to like about that tall and a fire pit that kind of matched. And inside the lean to was like a bone, but it was like a real bone. Right. And we're just kind of, that's just fucked up. And we're like, let's get out of here. So we ran home. Uh, back to the cabin we were staying at. And the next morning, we were like, well, we got to go check that out. And we went back to the same tree. There was no sign of anything like that mm-hmm. anywhere. And it was uh, an Aboriginal friend of mine told me like many years later, that, well, like, they believe in little people. They kind of come out of caves and they run around at night and they kind of trick people. And maybe one of them didn't make it back to us. They're going to make it back to the cave. So they set up this, this camp, which I thought was interesting. But that kind of really launched into this, this kind of fascination. I'd read on it and do a bit of research. But I always get too scared to look too much into it. Um, until 2003 when I was in journalism school, um, and I'd have been having some weird stuff happen at the house I was in, which is my dad had built and he'd, he'd died of, been dead about 10 years. Um, and I actually was able to get into this place called Tronquil Sanitarium here in town. And it was an old mental institution a tuberculosis hospital hmm. that it closed in the eighties. And in where I live, Kamloops, it became this big, that was the urban legend place. Everybody thought the place was haunted and people would break in because there's tunnels underground and all this kind of stuff like that. So, because I was in journalism school, there's other people, like-minded people. I was able to put together like a guy that had a video camera, and we went and found the psychic kind of thing, and a buddy of mine who had been out there and had all these weird things happen, and then another guy in class who just didn't believe it all. So we went out and we spent the night, and that for me really launched things because we would have brand new camera batteries that had been fully charged. You'd, you'd go and you'd load up your camera, you'd walk a few feet, boom, die, completely wow. die. You know, the, the psychic was picking up on all these weird vibes and everything. I remember at one point, one of the buildings squid power there. All the lights went out. She screamed. The lights flashed back on. Like, it was almost like perfect timing. And it was winter, so she had a toque. And the toque had sat, and it was pulled up like that. And you watched it settle down like someone had reefed on it and then let it go. Oh, now. Um, and those are kind of the two big things. And just a feeling. Like, there's places you go into that just feel wrong or that feel like something bad had happened. Like I've been to crime scenes and you just pick up on it. I don't know if it's like, you know, you're just doing this to yourself because you, you know the stories about the place, but mm-hmm. parts just felt off. Um, so we did that investigation. I went back out a few months later uh, with the psychic and we we're just kicking around. We went in the daytime this time. We went down into the tunnels and there was a door. It was unlocked. We already passed through it a couple of times on this trip and we we're kind of coming back. Let's do like sort of one final walkthrough. And I grabbed the door. I pulled it open about this far and then something went bang and it pulled it with enough force that I went face first into the door. She took off, like just screaming, ran out of the building. I'm down in this dark tunnel, just kind of like, wait for me. And I kind of just went running out after that. And I think that was the, the final cement for me being fully interested in wanting to know more about it because it was just, I, there's, there's three things that happened there that I just couldn't explain Yeah. anymore. Okay. That reminded me of something when you said about having like a bad vibe about something. I was at the Muter uh, Museum in Philadelphia. I don't know if you know what that is, and it's like the Death Museum. Okay. And, uh, and um, uh, with my friend Annabelle, and they one part of it is they have like a, a skull wall, and it's just all these skulls. 
and then you can go up and read about the people and some of them are just normal people. But one of them specifically like really gave me like this bad feeling and I went up and read it and it was a child murderer from Russia. Mm. And Mm. it really was weird to me that that one just stood out to me of all the skulls that like, it was just, it didn't make, it made me feel creeped out. It was, there was something, there's something about it. And you know, relative to all the other ones, it just looked, it just looked like a skull. It didn't look any different, but uh, there was just something about it. And then when I read about it, it was a, very strange. There's definitely, a, a, I, I think this is true. If you're a good person in life and, and you die, that, that vibe kind of goes with you. You know what I mean? And I think if you're a bad, like you say, that just, there's something that whatever that person was in life tainted his, even his skull. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that definitely, when you hear about like evil spirits, I don't think it's so much like, like demons and monsters. I think it's just that guy was an asshole in life and he's going to be an asshole ghost now. And <laughs> that's just the way it is. Right. Yeah. That, that's at least that's something that I, I've come to yeah. believe just through the years I've been doing this kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. The, the chain you forged in life. Like he told Ebenezer yeah. Scrooge. Exactly. Exactly. There's something to that. Mm-hmm. No, that's, it's like an interesting story. Now we're talking about uh, places and vibes is uh, when I was a kid, cause I was doing, I was doing horror films, even uh, in science fiction and horror films. And even when I was a kid in my, uh, my uh, brother-in-law from my older sister, he was uh, doing a job and they had some special, like you bring in the strangest thing and you get some sort of discount. So someone brought something into him and then he brought it all excited and gave it to me. And it was all wrapped up in this, in this cloth. This is the same cloth. This is like, gosh, like 25 years ago, like in the cloth. And then, you know, he's like, Oh, you're going to love this. You know, you can put it in the movie or, or whatever. And it's like, you're, you're going to love this. Cause it's like, you know, like a, you know, like from a medical you know, office, you know, and I'm just like, Oh, that's awesome. That looks like a real skull. And then it's like, that's a real skull. It's like, it's, this is back. This is back from when they actually used real skeleton. Or like from India yeah. medical school, yeah. which okay. is like, if you know the poltergeist story, mm-hmm. it was cheaper for them to get real skulls from the uh, medical schools and stuff than to make them. So when she's in that swimming pool and all this bodies are falling out, it's real, it's real skeleton. Yeah, Does this explain your haunted house, Brian? <laughs> 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 no, the thing is, is like, it's never been in a movie. This has never been yeah, in a movie. Yeah, but it's in your house. Like, <laughs> yes, but it's haunting your home. Once you're given this, then you're like, I don't know what to do. So I just, always kept it wrapped up in the same cloth and like you know i've kept it wherever like on a shelf or wherever wherever we've gone for like i've gone for like 25 years because i'm like i don't know because this was a person right mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's not a person now but it was like the skeleton of a living person so it's one of those weird things it's like i wouldn't even know you know, part of it's like, oh, you should bury it somewhere. It's like, I don't even know what the person wants to be buried. It's like, I know nothing about the skull. Just Tristan didn't want to be in the ground when she was a kid. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe someone <laughs> would want to be Yeah, prop it up on the couch. I just put it back here if I had it. <laughs> I just feel like it's, like it's like the only thing I can do is just to, like, keep it in the way it was given to me. Yeah. And, you know, not definitely not put it in a horror film. Because right. I feel like if I do that, then I've... Then I've uh, I crossed the line. I <laughs> juju after that. <laughs> you know, but but it's but it's it's weird. It's like something like that. It's like you don't. Um, I don't know. It's like a very strange line for me between like you know scripted 
you know, story horror that you do versus, you know, real horror in real life. And for me, there's yeah, a very- I agree because that's sort of my problem with some of the new movies where they're, if they want to use, uh, COVID in a movie, it's like, we're yeah. living it right now. It's, it's so, I mean, people do whatever they want, but I feel, you know, weird about that. So mm-hmm. yes, you know, I'm just, so when you were writing Echoes of Fear, is that in your mind then to like, you, you know, cause you're inspired by something, uh, that's happening, uh, but you don't want to use too much of it or? Well, no, that was different because I mean, that was just, I felt like, cause that was direct experiences that I was, mm-hmm. that was happening to me. I felt like that that was fair game. Cause it, it, it wasn't something I went out looking for, you know, it was, I mean, that was something that was happening to me and, and low. Uh, it, it's funny. I mean, really quickly, it's like going upon locations when we did our third film, Low and I, uh, Dark Remains. It's a, it's a, our other supernatural horror film. We did our third feature and, um, that one was, was totally written and we were getting ready to shoot. And then someone was helping us find locations in a, in a city in the South in Rome, Georgia. Uh, above, you know, outside of Atlanta and they were helping us find a place and they're like, well, do you need an abandoned prison? And I'm like, well, no, there's no abandoned prison in, in the script, but we'll take a look at it. We looked at this abandoned prison. I'm like, oh my God, this is like a scary prison. This is like a pretty old prison from the 1930s. <laughs> I mean, that was like a hardcore prison. And then Lowe was immediately like, well, there's a prison in the movie now. Uh, I had to like rewrite the script to incorporate this whole prison. And I was able to do it after pitching a fit that it was impossible for me just to do a horn of prison uh-huh. into a non-prison movie. But we shot there uh, for about 14 days slash nights in this prison. And we found out that there was real ghost stories in the prison that called a, a ghost called Big Red. So we're shooting in this prison at night. You know, we didn't know about this Big Red story till we're there. And... Um, you know, you would be at night and people sometimes would split off and it was a pretty big prison. It's all empty and abandoned. And Lowe went uh, with somebody else and they went into this kitchen, the kitchen area, and there was like this cooking tray and there were cookies on the cookie tray. And I'm like, you know, she's like, well, why? I wasn't there, but she was like, why is there cookies on this cookie tray? This is an abandoned prison. <laughs> why are there cookies? So she goes up to it expecting, of course, that these must be like ancient cookies that are going to be hard as a rock, right? So she goes up to it and touches it, and they're completely soft. Wow. Like, like, like they're totally fresh cookies that haven't even been cooked yet. Did she eat any? No. They immediately <laughs> left. They immediately <laughs> left that part. The thing is, we found out later, we found out later from the warden, uh, we did a, like a behind-the-scenes documentary of the real ghost stories that we put on the DVD of that movie, where we got like the actual people who used to work the prison, they still worked at the, pri- the operating prison right next door to it. So they came back and told their ghost experiences. We put it in as an extra uh, of that. And one of the things we learned was there's a bunch of theories of who the ghost of Big Red was, but one of the theories was it was a cook who was killed in the prison. Oh, wow. And we didn't know this, and Lo didn't know this. So, of course, when she found this out, that was a freaky thing. And then later on, some other ghost investigators wanted to find out about this prison and heard the stories, and they went in and did an investigation. And um, they had some experiences that weren't unlike what happened to Lowe. She was trying to take some still photographs, and what you were saying, Jason, she had a totally charged battery in her still camera. 
and she went to take a photo and her totally charged battery just goes completely dead. So it, it wouldn't work at all. So it goes from being a totally charged full battery to being a dead battery, just like that in the prison. And now the prison- Similar is, to the, oh, go on, sorry. Go, go, go on. Similar to the, well, I was gonna go back to Jason. I was gonna say similar to the co- cookie ghost, there was a foot rub ghost. Yeah. <laughs> I love these ghosts. <laughs> I remember that brother in one of the rooms, just by somebody, and it's happened to a couple of people in that hotel that we were at. Um, and even though, like you said, the the battery too, like by the camera gimbal, I was shooting that whole first run of episodes with would act up constantly through the whole thing. It would get pulled even on its own. It was just yeah, like, it's again electric electrical energy, right, playing around with your equipment and and such. So. Well, I was glad that we were able to get those stories because, I mean, the prison's gone now. And it's like the only record, you know, of those people's stories and the only visuals of this prison that still exist are on that doc that we did. So I'm glad that we were able to capture that and document it, which I wanted to throw that back to your show. You know, we want to believe. Um, that's why I think it's really cool that you're actually getting those stories recorded from uh, the people even if it's yeah. secondhand, the other things that have happened there, you're getting those stories recorded, you know, before they're gone and lost. But I'd love it if you would talk about in episode three, and I've never seen this before in a paranormal ghost show, and I really liked it, was you actually recorded, um, I wouldn't call it an EVP because it actually you heard it in the scene, so it's not really an EVP, but you actually heard the woman's voice and you checked the recorder and or as a voice or a laugh, and it was actually on the recording as well. But even though you heard it and recorded it, you were still like a little dismissive of it because of all the background noise and everything else. Like you still didn't count that as a win, like as definitive proof, even though most people in most ghost shows would have jumped up and down with this as like, oh my God, you know, but you didn't I that. got something. That's what I really like. But you also, for you want to talk about it, but you also did something I thought very interesting with that is you showed how what you've recorded is actually filtered and amplified in the actual computer so you can actually hear it. If you want to talk about that a little bit, because I've never seen that before. On a show yeah, like it was, we were in, it was one of the rooms, I think it was 226. Um, and I was sitting on the bed and Sarah, one of the other investigators was Sarah sitting on the floor by the door. And it was loud. It's on the main, this hotel's kind of on a main drag here. Um, so there, was, there was a lot of back and forth traffic noise, you know, like the kind of thing like that. But it literally sounded, and I wasn't wearing headphones, but it, I, I thought I heard a woman whisper something. And so I kind of turned to Sarah's out of this side here, and I kind of said, did you hear something? She's like, yeah, actually, I heard, because she was recording with her digital recorder, and she had her headphones on. I was like, yeah, I heard, I think I heard something. And I said, well, I, I kind of hearing it off of this side. She's like, yeah, yeah, it's coming from, from right over here. Um, and it was weird, because we both went back and looked at our audio, and I, I had, I had like a whisper, but it, it was so faint, but it, it was still above the traffic noise. So it was like it was in the room. So I sent it to Jason Morris, our editor. But Sarah went back over and she couldn't make it out on her device at all. Like she didn't pick up anything. So we got Jason basically to run it through all the audio filters that he could to kind of enhance it and make it louder. And you could hear, it was like Peter listened to it after. And he said it sounded like a woman whispering Jason. Because it was kind of like that Jason kind of sound. But I, did, I didn't hear Jason. I just heard like a huh-huh kind of thing like that. Um, which, yeah, and given that one of the stories is in the, in the hotel is about a woman who committed suicide there named Holly. You said, Holly, you have 
you know, a, a woman whispering. And you'll see in the next episode with evidence, we tie into a little bit more with Holly that we, we picked up in the, in another part of the hotel. But we, we really, I, we just thought that's important because to, to show, like, you don't usually, you're, you're right. Really, you just get the, yeah, we got it. But I mean, you, you can't just take it at face value. You got to kind of run it through. A filter, you gotta make sure that it's not something that's not actually the there. Process, but you show the process live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, noise cancelization and yeah. yeah. To really yeah. narrow it down to that sound. That sound. That's really cool. Thank you. It's that we just thought that was the only way to do it realistically. Like, you know, because otherwise, yeah, and Sarah still does say, No, I didn't get anything. Like I I didn't no, I, I did, you know what's you know, so like, cool though is that I I don't know, I've I like. I guess I'm liking what I'm hearing. How your process is on your show. I haven't seen it. I'm now. I'm gonna. As soon as we get off, I'm gonna <laughs> probably go watch it. Um, because like, there's like some ghosts. I don't know. I can't even think the name. Think of the names. But it's it's just it just feels like it's so scripted, or it feels like it's not real. And with you doing what you said you're doing with your process, I'm really intrigued. And I think that's going to be all for the better for your show so well, thank you we i know in the paranormal investigation community those shows you like a ghost adventures or whatever you call it they're just dismissed they're kind of laughed off because they are at some point i guess because of ratings or a desire to show something they do something is faked to just get your interest and, and get people to watch but as soon as you've done that you have lost your credibility and if say peter did that his 27 year career, his being head of like Vancouver criminal would be, it would be over instantly. He'd have no credibility. And as a new investigator who looks at it seriously, I'd be done too. And I don't, we don't want to put that at risk. Right. Like we just don't, we were even kind of, cause demon is the buzzword in all these shows right now. And it's everywhere. So even, I think it was in the second episode where Peter actually gets, you know, a demon on the, but he starts laughing. And even when I heard that, I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. We're trying to be like the un-Hollywood anti-stage ghost show and we get demon first time out. Like, come on. Right? <laughs> it was just like, you know, but it, it what comes up, comes up. And, and you just kind of have to take it as, as you get it kind of thing. So, Well, I thought the woman's voice thing was, for me, it was even more impressive and interesting, even though you didn't really log it as being evidence. Uh, but I really, like, Yes, I'm harping on it again, but I really like the fact that you showed the actual process of filtering it so you could hear the voice better. Mm-hmm. Whereas most shows would just have in the audio, they would just have the cleaned up voice with no explanation. Yeah. That would just be there. Like, oh, I heard this. This is, this is what our recorder picked up. Boom. And it's the cleaned up voice. But they've skipped all the steps of what it took to clean it up so you could hear the voice. And I really like the fact that you, it, I mean, really, I recommend everyone see it. It's an episode uh, three, I believe. It's on a loop. So you can see the sound looping. And you can actually see them move the parameters in the audio program to clean it up. And you're hearing it change as they do that. And mm-hmm. I've never seen that before uh, on, a, on a ghost show. Yeah. Done, done raw like that. Mm-hmm. I, thought that was- I think that's really cool. Yeah, the program I used to to edit the the audio uh, podcast audition. So. Oh, did you use the same one? The same? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. It's and that's what Jason uses for his audio too. Like for our, our editor um, down there, and it's it's. I think you have to like we in episode four. Like we we touch on all the evidence we found, and we tried to break it down. I don't want to like spoil anything, but try to break it down to different types of evidence. Like there's 15 different types of evidence that's counted. 
So we try to lay, put each in its category and show it, you know, just in a way that we're going to leave it up to you guys to decide if there's anything there or not. But yeah, just to kind of, because you know, if it's physical, so we show signs of the physical evidence that we might have got or, or, or audio and we just try to put it in that way. And hopefully, hopefully it still works. We're trying to keep it, like I say, entertaining, but also like real. Yeah. I know, that's tough. I understand uh, having edited uh, on um, some of these shows for uh, television, uh, not my stuff, but editing for them. Uh, I know it's very tough, the, the, the demands of keeping it uh, real versus editing it in a more exciting way. And, and the one that I work on, it, it's a, uh, I have a confidentiality agreement if I can talk about it. I won't even name it. But they don't they don't actually fake anything. But mm-hmm. even though they're not, the constraints of the show and the network and everything else dictate a certain expectation in terms of the cutting and the Plus flow. Plus you have to have so many episodes. Right, right. And you know, it's tough when you're on commercial uh, television. It's very it's very tough. I mean, it's it's great that you're more free by being on the uh being on YouTube, being on the internet, that you're a little bit more free of not having to be under such constraints in terms of, you know, what you have to do in terms of, uh, of rating and pleasing advertisers and network executives and that kind of stuff. So. It certainly helps. I know Joe Blow has been very open. They're just kind of like, just kind of, they have sort of concerns maybe in length per episode and, and just making sure that there's like something, but there's enough stuff that you get through, you know, a day long investigation or a few days where you get something that you can at least put in there to make it, make it work. And we thought it was good to kind of go through, I think, and show that process of enhancing like you say, Brian, the, the audio, so people can see how that's done. That, you know, in episode four, we actually, we do need to make it a bit louder, but people have already seen that we've done that and that's how it works. We're just going to make it so you can actually hear it and, you know, making sure you got right the, the word in in case people can't see it, but just sort of make it draw a little more attention to it. Cause in original cut, we had the EVPs actually the, the same level. It was very quiet. It was like, it just didn't work. You know, and this is where the filmmaker, the film school guy becomes, it just doesn't work. It's not exciting enough. Right. But, we so, said, okay, but we've actually shown that we've, we, we can enhance this to make it clear. So, you know, the, Joe Bull's like, well, can you, let's make the EVPs louder. So we felt we could now do that because we've shown that we've already been doing that. Yeah, I, I, I strongly encourage it on the other shows to keep showing the process of mm-hmm. that. I, I find that, uh, as a viewer, I find that very interesting. And, and, it, and it helps, I think, show your authenticity by the fact that you're, Showing what the process is, so it's kind yeah, of like I do think sometimes in, in other in other ghost hunting kind of things they'll show like equipment, but no, they won't explain what they are. And some people might just think, you know, oh, this is you know some doodad they just have to to look you know like it's doing something. But if you actually show what you're doing, what, what, well, it's not unlike to go back to film. It's not unlike if you um, if you shoot raw, like most digital cameras shoot raw now, like Echoes of Fear was shot raw, and if you look at the raw image. It looks hideous, and then you can see the finished image, and it looks completely different. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's a, it's a fictional movie, so of course you just show people the finished image. But it's like it's much truer if you're being authentic, like Jason is, to show what that process is. Like this is what our camera picked up in the raw, but now we can change these parameters and bring out the contrast and change this and we can bring out what may be difficult to see in the shadows and you actually show that happening so everyone can see exactly what you're doing as opposed to just popping to the finished process shot and i really like that so hats oh, off thank you. yeah i also like what you said brian about uh getting these stories while you know people are still here to tell them because 
it's a big regret of mine that uh, I never recorded with with uh, Troy and I, uh, grandmother, we're brothers, people don't know, because she had a lot of stories about uh, back in Pennsylvania that she grew up in a haunted house, and I really uh, wish I had recorded them at some point. Well, it's, it's, tough, it's tough to think about because, of course, in your brain, uh, you never even want to kind of either, right? admit that someone's going to die, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not like something you even want to really think about. Uh, so I think it, it's difficult to think like that because in order to get ahead of the curve and record that, then your brain has to be thinking like, well, this person's not going to be here anymore. So your brain has to kind of go into a dark. So I think there's a natural resistance. Yeah. I mean, like when we recorded that for the extras for the movie, we weren't thinking like, well, this whole prison is going to be knocked down. There won't be any, there won't be anything left of big red story. It will be lost because this whole prison won't be here. You know, in, in six years, well, that never even crossed our mind. <laughs> you know, it just happened to be something that that worked that way. Because uh, I think there, it's hard to imagine how everything changes. Um, you know, like I think in a weird way, it's like I think mean, everyone's in quote haunted, or everyone has a ghost of something. Uh, if you look at it in the bigger, more metaphorical sense, because of what changes and the loss that happens, uh, kind of becomes a ghost, even if it's like a a personal thing. Yeah. Because like uh, when you guys are talking about entities, I remember something my grandmother used to tell us was, uh, you know, the house she grew up in, her parents, so my, our, our great-grandparents, they actually boarded one of the rooms shut because like they would see a guy in there like brushing his teeth in the morning. You know, he obviously wasn't there. <laughs> what? But, yeah. Oh, it wasn't like anything like crazy. It was brushing his teeth, but just the <laughs> fact that someone was in there and they actually boarded the, the room shut. Well, that, that just very Yeah. yeah. That reminds me of an, like an old SNL sketch, really old one, where they were parodying Bob Vila. house or something. And they had someone parodying Bob Vila, and he was like walking around this house. And they're like, yeah, there's a – and it was like the funny thing. It was, it was like an Amityville house. But he was explaining it like he was showing them how to fix up their house. Well, you got the, you got the wall uh, bleeding blood here. You can put up some partition here. And off and, you know, over here, that's called a hell mouth. Well, you can just put some rocks around that and make a nice hearth. You know, so he was like, <laughs> I was trying to find it because I thought someone might post it on YouTube or something. I can't even uh-huh. find it. That's but awesome. I remember, I remember seeing it. I'm like, this is hilarious. Uh, a, very pra- a very practical way of looking at an admirable house. Right. And didn't call it like this old like haunted house or something. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you should do. You should. You should take two great reality show traditions: uh, the ghost hunting and marry it with the home improvement. Put them together. There we go. There you go. No one steals this idea. We got we to copyright it now, and we'll all just make it happen. COVID ends, we can get out and do it. That'd be brilliant. Uh, <laughs> that would be a that would be a faked up show. So. Yeah. <laughs> Not have the authenticity of your show. <laughs> Why does it have to be fake? Well, I, I think the idea that you would find an Amityville <laughs> house every week to fix up might be a high bar. You know. Wait, that would be a different room. We're fixing the den this week. I like that. Different rooms yeah. in the house. Right. Put new the shingles on. Would be the basement. we got to go down into the basement and renovate the basement. And the right. Panel. When you get in. Well, well, I love the idea. Three or four, the idea four, you might start to run out of ideas. But, yeah. well, I love the idea, Neil, that you just board up the room with the person brushing their teeth. 
that's the solution. That's the solution right. for that yeah. one. What is for that? If we don't see it, it's not happening. That's right. Yeah. right. <laughs> well, no. the ghosts are all gone. <laughs> if I did that in Exos, we would catch <laughs> That would be a totally different movie. Could yeah. you imagine? We can just wrap that up so quick. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the short version. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mary Ella, were you uh, were out you, of sight, uh, out of mind? You know, <laughs> were you skeptical or were you a believer, a believer, or anything like before you met um, Robert? No, well, I don't know. <laughs> I um, <laughs> I just know, like when, like ever since I was little, like I would, like the earliest childhood, I, I just never wanted people to think I was crazy and stuff. And so, I know, like the old, earliest childhood memory of me is actually in the crib like and I don't know if anybody I I really have a memory of me being in a crib and just waiting um my mom I guess would keep the lights off so I could take a nap and I was you know just there um holding on to the the railings and I would just see I what I recall is I guess these dark or black dogs they look like dobermans or something and i mean i could i'm i'm not sure uh what type of breed or whatever but it, it they reminded me of black dobermans and i remember seeing them again as i grew up when i would sleep and i grew up in a very 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 orthodox catholic household so that stuff like prayers and holy water i went to catholic school um the catholic school i went to actually uh the exorcist the only sanctioned exorcist in our region lived on the campus of our catholic school Mm. so stuff like that was always talked about and um so when I was younger, I had a very firm belief of it. But as I got older, I guess I started like, no, this, like science is real. I need, you know, I, there has to be an explanation for all this stuff that's been happening. Like, cause I've always, I would, up until recently, I would have sleep paralysis. You know, I would like what Rob said, um, I would do that a lot, um, then we did this documentary with uh, Curandero, um, with El Indio. And, you know, I went in there just wanting answers. But at the same time, I wanted, I wanted to prove that this guy was crazy because in, in our town and a lot of other towns, the Curanderos, they, they just tell you whatever you want to hear just so that you can pay the money. And this guy was just completely different. He never asked for money. If you wanted to give him money, you wanted to give him food, whatever you had to offer him, you know, he, he just wouldn't ask for anything. So whenever, like, when we initially started the documentary, I had never met this man before. I just knew what Rob came and told me. And um, I walked in. I, what's it? How do you call it, Rob? The room, Cuarito? Yeah, it's his room. Yeah. Um, where he basically he has a desk, but there's all these trinkets and all these like 
things just all over the room. And I guess one of the things that he said is that you're going to see things in here that are very familiar to you. Well, the first thing that caught my eye was nailed to the pillar was a Pooh Bear pacifier. It looked exactly like my my son's pacifier. Was it Zoe's or one of the kids pacifiers and it had the same markings on it and it was chewed at the tip the way you know she didn't i I, i'm hitting rob rob look that's the pacifier that that like zoe had and um so elindio says that there's gonna be some things in here that that are gonna be familiar to you so then he goes go ahead and have a seat we sit at the the um I sit at the table, or not the table, the desk, and in one of his drawers, he has, like, a bunch of sets of, like, different cards that he reads. So he has a bunch of different decks of tarot cards. He has a bunch of different decks of, like, playing cards. And he'll, I guess, like, as you're talking, or he's talking to you, he's kind of reading you. And depending on, like, the vibe you give off in the readings that he's, like, getting from you he pulls out a deck specifically for you to read so i want to say that he pulled out like because this happened how many years ago rom this was like over 10 years ago uh close to 20 years ago because hondo's 17 yeah well it's it's uh uh, maybe 15 about 15 years ago 15 16 years ago so i'm trying i think it, they were playing cards just like what you would play with poker and he's just doing like your past your present and your future like the layout's all the same as if you were to do like a tarot reading and um at the time i had met my birth mother and we were under like we my daughter when i met her she um Zoe was, I think, three. But her husband sexually assaulted my child. And I wanted answers. And I, you know, I was looking, like, looking. But at the same time, I was skeptical, if that makes any sense. And he, he, the, what he read was that I was, I was there to seek answers and that, he, that I would, internally, I would, I would find these answers. Like, the answers would come to me. And, um, so then he goes, so I'm starting to believe again, if that makes sense. My skepticism is, is slowly starting to go away. So then he tells me that, um, I needed to go and get, he had me go and get some like branches, like herb, um, from, they smell like they were herbal or incestuous. I don't know how to, what the vocabulary word is but there are certain type of tree that that it's like incense so i went to another room and in the middle of the room was the star of david and you stand in the middle of the room and you're he said to just start acting like you're you're brushing all this negativity off of you so i'm there you know and you know, doing the motions and he's saying his prayers and stuff. And then he's also spraying uh, or throwing holy water and he has a rosary in his hand. 
And also at the same time, I'm holding a prayer candle, like what you would see in the Catholic Church, like uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe or St. Jude, St. Michael, one of those prayer candles. So I'm holding one. I think the candle I was holding was the Virgin Mary. Um, And he said for me to pray whatever it is I'm thinking, just pray and brush it off. So then he starts to do his prayers. And then with those branches, he puts them around in the circle and he starts doing the fire cleansing. Well, in the fire cleansing, these little tornadoes, it looks like like the fire is just swirling around. And there's really like in the, the room, there's no window, there's no draft. There's nothing to make the fire, um, do what it's doing and um he said you see that that right there is a demon or an evil entity he said it in spanish so the translations it's either demon or or entity spirit a bad spirit was attached to me the mala suerte that you, you could see that the spirals, he was reading the spiral, the, the flames. The thing is, uh, just to preface real quick about what she's trying to say, was that the fires were staying within the circle, the, the circle with the Star of David. And the thing is, the object of to push these fires out, that was what he was going to try to do, to make the fires go out of the circle away from the circle so that to remove it from her and so that's where these fires are are going around her right now so then we we finished off the week he said that i needed to take like he sent me home with one of the things about alindio is that if he felt that you needed like or like like extra candles or extra prayers extra something he was going to send you home with it. Well, he sent me home with like this herbal shampoo that he, he made or a bath soap that you put in the, basically like you, you poured this thing into your bath and you soaked in it. And you were, I was supposed to do that for the whole week because at the end of the week, we were going to be going back to go be doing some filming. Well, the next day when I woke after I did that bath, I had, um, scratches on my arm and it was literally in the shape like i don't know if you can see this um our lady of guadalupe it that's what i don't know that is but y'all know the the shape of our lady of guadalupe that was literally scratched into my hand and it looked like claws like i had been you can't yeah. even explain it. It looked like something had clawed me from the inside of my skin, and it was like right. trying to claw out. Because that, that was the unusual to- part. Because it, instead of it being like scratches from top going into the epidermis, it looked like it was coming from the inside and scraping from the inside of her arm. It's the weirdest pictures. They're they're in a they're in a. Yeah, hard we took pictures. Them. Yeah, we have pictures of them because we documented everything and um it didn't i can't i don't think it hurt but it was just weird that it was it looked like scratches and then the shape of our lady guadalupe i even had a doctor look at it and he couldn't explain what was like he at first whenever you first saw it it looked like scratches like a cat or something had scratched me but whenever you touched like you ran your hand on it it was smooth like it didn't even break my skin was not broken so then we go back to 
Ketula, and we show Miguel, which is El Indio, and he said that um, that was the entity hanging on to me. And he also said that that also was the sign, the, the Our Lady of Guadalupe, that I was, I was a curandero. I was a curandera. And I just, you know, I needed to go and, I guess, get training because you can't just be a curandera. You need to be, you know, trained. Yes, you'll have visions. Yes, you'll be able to see stuff. But in order to do, like, to go further along, you needed to have some sort of training or whatever. Um, so from being a tr like a hardcore believer in, 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 um, I guess the spirit stuff and then to being skeptical. And then now I'm back to being a believer again, because there's so many things that you can't even explain. Like when my grandmother passed away, she's like, she's, she's, she's native American. And, um, in the culture, you have a spirit guide. So when she was like, she was like on hospice where we were all gathering as a family, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, we were all saying our goodbyes. But I want to say like, like three days before she passed away, there was a rooster that was just outside of her room, just hanging out. Then a dog mauled the rooster and my grandmother passed away. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of stuff that can't be explained. And, you know, I don't know. Did that answer your question, Neil? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it also I, I, gave us so many more questions. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, Thank you. What you described happening to you, is that, is that in the feature doc that you guys did? That <laughs> Well, so I, so when he said that, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to, you know, I need to, if that's what he's saying that I am, I need to like, that's my calling. So I was tracking, I think every weekend to go down there to go study with him. And, um, there's a language barrier because I don't speak Spanish at all. I can understand it if you speak to me really slowly. Mm. And that's, that's another story as to why, you know, we didn't grow up speaking our language and stuff. And, um, well, his wife, I guess, I don't know. She, she was just like, I guess, real jealous. You know, I guess it's understandable. You know, there's a, a woman that's going and getting trained by her husband and stuff. So she started, I don't know. It was just a lot of drama. I didn't want anything to do with it. I said, Rob, just take me out of the documentary uh, I, but it's the footage i think is still there yeah we have me. all we have all we have all the footage uh we were gonna have my wife go in as a skeptic and then just track just like we were tracking i have all these testimonials i have all these different cases i have various di different limpias that were performed during this whole week-long uh uh duration that we were there and I wanted to have a control. She only knew that I, in, in you know, I wouldn't really tell her too much, and I kept her real private from where I worked and uh, El Indio uh, Miguel, and because I wanted her to go in uh, cold, just like the way I did when I met him. Uh, my my coworkers, I had just started working there, and they said, "Have you ever heard of Miguel?" 
from Cthulhu. And I'm like, well, well, okay, who's this? And they said, it's a curandero. And I was just totally intrigued because obviously I've had a lot of weird shit happen to me that I'm like, yeah, I'm like very interested in meeting somebody. But I said, but if we go, I go, I don't want no calls. I mean, like if we're going to go, let's go now. And I said, let's go. Don't nobody make any phone calls. I'm going to go in there cold. I don't want him to like, oh, you guys gave him the lowdown of who Rob is. And they didn't really know who I was anyway. I was just a new guy that started working there. Uh, So we went and I said, I want to go through the process. I want to experience what everybody else is. We got a number and I was just taking in all these people, mass amount of people just kind of there with it waiting to be to be seen eventually it took you know about two hours before we even got to the to the front of the of the line or whatever miguel was disturbed he was bothered the fact that we didn't tell his wife because he was going to bump us all the way to the front because he knew the guys that i went with they were they they knew each other very well and he goes no you should have said something and i would have moved you guys ahead of the line and all this kind of stuff and um and he's no, 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 we're bringing in a friend of ours. Uh, he wanted to meet you. And, uh, but I didn't say anything. I, 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 there's a language barrier, but I understand Spanish very well. So I'm just there sitting down while they're talking. And, okay, imagine me being Miguel. I'm going to look at the screen here. So he's talking to one guy and he's nodding. And then he'll do this. Just stare at me because I was sitting in between them. And then he would just keep staring and then. And then he would go talking to this other guy and this, that, and the other, and he would just keep doing the same thing, just just staring at me. And then he goes, stop. This is all in Spanish, by the way. Stop. Do you mind if I read your, your cards? And I'm like, what? You're, you're giving me a vibe very strong, and I want to read your cards like right now. It, I wasn't even there to do that. It was just, let, let's just talk and do all this stuff. So he goes, but do you mind that they're here? Because what when when I get into this, you know, start reading, everything is going to come out, and I don't hold back. I'm just going to say whatever is coming to my mind, and because he, I guess he gets in a trance and he's just going to read you. And I said, yeah, I don't have any secrets. I don't. I mean, I barely started working with these guys. I don't have anything ill about these guys or whatever. He does the thing with a different set of cards than what my wife had. This is your, this is your past. This is your present. And this is your future. This dude read me like everything had everything that ever happened to me. He was reading everything. I was completely floored. There's no way he knew who my wife was. There's no way he knew what happened to me at 17. There's no way he knew that. um, It was just so weird that he was like, clicking on everything and I was trying to remember everything and he goes the reason you haven't succeeded is you've been cursed or something and I'm like wait a minute you're saying that word and I was like getting freaked out because I'm like okay no one had ever told me that part and he goes we need we could do Olympia but it's a really strong they were using Santa Muerte on you and they put this whammy on you that it's like gonna stop up your future this woman loved you so much she was going to keep anybody from having you and you were never going to succeed in anything that you ever wanted to do. And I was like, what the hell? And the first thing I thought of was my ex-girlfriend who um, her parents are from Mexico. She used to do all this kind of weird witchcraft shit that she kept that secret from her, from her family and all kinds of weird. I'm like, 
there's no way he would have known this person because I've never ever mentioned any of these kind of weird things before. It was just so bizarre. Uh, and I said, I have to, and I, the minute I, you know, we did all these kind of things, but the minute I got home, I said, this guy knew shit that happened to me in my past. He knew where I was at. He knew kind of a little bit about my wife, but didn't say specifically who it was. Uh, somebody, you know, is praying very strongly for you all the time, which he was basically reading my, uh, my mom. My mom is, um, Let's just say that she's enlightened. She can read cards. She kind of kept all of that secret until we found her cards wrapped in this weird kind of uh, like what you showed with the skull. She had these cards wrapped and we always wondered what the heck that was in the drawer. My mom was like, you're not supposed to be going in my stuff. When we got older, she says, I used to read cards and I stopped because it gave me answers that I did not want to hear and I wasn't ready for. And I was scared that these things were going to go after you. And I'm like, I think that's what's happening. And you've never told us this stuff, but now it's coming after me and my brother and whatever. And you know what I mean? She, she was, it by, it was like, if it wasn't going to go through her, it's looking for some other kind of, um, uh, portal or, or uh, whatever to to get into. So I'm telling my wife all this stuff and I said, you know what? I have to make a film. We have to make a documentary. We have to do all this kind of stuff, but I don't want you to know anything about it. You're going to go in there cold because I know you don't believe any of this stu- type of stuff and I want you to go in there as a total and take it for what it is like I was and we're going to take you down the line just the way I did. You're going to wait. You're going to come in and you're going to go through the whole thing. The thing is it got too real where now all of a sudden I'm there, but now I'm, I'm like, that's my daughter's pacifier hanging on the nail that my daughter was already what, how old was she? Maria Lorena? Like a 10, 11, 12. No, that Zoe. no. You talk about it at the time. Zoe nine, 10. At the, t- at the yeah, time Zoe, that we did Zoe. the documentary. Yeah. Zoe. Um, she had to be about 10 at least. I don't think so. That was Caitlin's. So I think maybe Zoe was about five because Hondo was still in a stroller. Oh, yeah. Maybe. maybe, Well, yeah, you're right. But, but she was already not doing pacifiers a long time ago. So like it it just, he just said, you're going to see things in this room that are very familiar to you. And that's a way to comfort you. And I'm just like, Oh shit. Now we're really in the shit because this didn't happen when I was here. Now it's happening when my wife's here. And he goes, yeah, there's a coyote over here in this corner that is watching and guiding and protecting you. And I'm like, now there's coyotes and shit all around. And <laughs> yeah, I've heard, like, yeah, he said that the, coy- the yeah. coyote was my spirit guide or my spirit animal. It, it just got a little too intense and, and out of control that we're like, you know what? We're going to put all this aside. This is like moving away from – what we thought we were going to do, but we have all this footage still. And I'm like, yeah, this is a pretty, pretty intense stuff. Um, he does. I guess we, I don't know. We could, I mean, it's not finished. We can always put it back in there. I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't. It's really interesting when you were talking about it. Because when he sees all those people, he, like if he's going to give you a cure, it, it stays with him. You got bad luck. He's going to do Olympia on you. Because we were wondering, well, what happens at the end of the day? He goes, well, I have to do a final cleansing on my own self. 
because I don't want to take this back to my house and then it it affects my family and it can kill my family, all these bad things that I have. We tried to do a filming of his final cleansing. We were collapsing from the fumes. We were like, I don't know how this guy can stand in the center of the circle sitting uh, cross-legged and all these fumes and fire all around him. Uh, we had a uh, original cameraman fell over. Somebody else had to come up, pick up the camera. Wow. And we had to film it a totally different time because we, we felt like we were just dis- disrupting his entire thing. I noticed that there was a rooster that kept making noises and noises and noises. I said, this thing is going to screw up every interview and everything because I could hear it go, wah, 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 wah. and it's the middle of the night. I'm like, why is the hell this rooster? The minute he started that final cleansing, the rooster, I, I kid you not, the rooster's like standing up. His head goes down, his tail goes up, and while he's doing the whole cleansing, the rooster stayed in that position to allow Miguel and never crowed one time while he did that final cleansing. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell does that rooster doing? It would not shut up, and now he's doing the final cleansing, and the rooster is in this weird position, not saying anything at all. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen too much weird shit already. <laughs> it, it was just so bizarre, some of these weird things that, that we were seeing. Um, yeah, it's uh, if, uh, Miguel uh, in Cthulhu. He's still there. I, I get IMs, instant messages all the time. I'm desperately looking for Miguel, and they're all in Spanish. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm well, like, now the guy's story, story on that. we showed it, I had people messaging yeah. me in Spanish. And because the, the, the story on him, yeah, yeah uh, he, the curanderos that do all this screwed up, like your brujaria, the, the, the witch dog, stuff. the witches, they go to him to get all that that evil or the and the negativity off of them. Yep. He he explains that where uh, the curanderos that are that are getting all the money and 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 he he says they're chingaso the they're uh, they're f they're fucking you okay they're they're staky taking your money <laughs> they come to him to get cleansings because they have bad luck shit that's affecting all of their family and getting people sick that in order for them to get cleansed, they go to him. He goes, because they're stupid. They don't know what they're doing. And I know how to do it. And I hope go with COVID he's not here. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I don't, yeah. We don't know. We haven't spoken to him in I don't know how long. Yeah. He's uh he's yeah. I'm, I, you know what? I'm, I'm very interested in, if, if he is, I just know during this whole COVID thing, people have been reaching out and I guess they're looking for, for help because uh, they're like oh. desperately searching for him and looking, well, Neil, I guess they were contacting you because yeah, yeah. you showed the film. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, I was like, uh, I don't know where it's that I sent the message to Mary Ellen. <laughs> yeah, there's dudes looking for you, man. What's going on? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very intriguing. Uh, uh, he he would give us these crazy stories of like when he said, you know, can I have permission to read you? And he, because he did this with, there's a lot of uh, drug runners that will visit him because they want protection to continue their, you know, doing drug running and all this kind of stuff. Well, he had two guys there and he was reading, you know, the guy's cards and he goes, you sure you want me to read this while this guy's here? And he goes, yeah, it's okay. He told him some stuff that this guy's going to 
double cross him and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) well, they do. It's yeah. The cartel, the cartel is real bad in that, that area. area. Mm -hmm. Well, they, I don't even know if we should be talking about. Yeah. Oh, that's not who was messaging. (laughs) They they burned, they burned his shack down. They basically burned his shack down. And so the, the, there were some people that were very upset by that, that liked to visit him regularly. So while he reconstructed his shack, uh, this was something that we were filming. He was talking about this and he goes, this can't be on film. And we're like, okay, just shut the cameras off. He goes up to a piece of pottery that's up at the very top shelf and he brings it down and it's covered with a, a towel or some kind of blanket or whatever it is. And then he removes it and there's bones. And he goes, these are the guys that burned down my shack. And I'm like, are you shitting me? And he goes, no, the people that come to me found these guys and they brought me them. So now they're going to sit up here and watch me all the time. I'm like, all right, what dude. Going on in Texas, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. So, yeah. So when you, when you had that, you know, the skull there, it, it just reminded me of yeah. what El Lindo, El Lindo's uh, room is very reminiscent of the Warren's, a museum with all the little, the, all the implements that people find on their property, they bring them to him. They could be old, old school farming implements that you haven't seen forever. And he goes, that's the mala suerte. That's the, where the brujaria, the bad luck was put on. He does a cleansing and he keeps it there. And he goes, you, you don't need that. He'll send people to their property. They find weird things on there. And he goes, that's people trying to put bad luck on you. And he, we have a whole segment in the documentary where he breaks down the different kind of bad luck or mala suerte that can be put on you. And then we show some of these things that he has all kind of scattered around his room. Uh, yeah, he's a very, uh, very intriguing uh, uh, guy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, different. Uh, and uh, Lois joined us. Hey. Hi. 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 Hello. Good to see is, you. Uh, Lois, she's the. Uh, Co-director and cinematographer and producer of Echoes of Fear. So, and if you want, if you want to hear them, she has some, she has some interesting um, experiences that are not related. Uh, yeah, definitely. Earlier, so, anytime you want to hear them. No time like right now. <laughs> you want to talk about the one, that, the, the two you on your travels that you had, the one in the Philippines and the other one. Oh well, yeah. Oh, there's the one. Um, which? What about the one in, in that bedroom? They're both in a hotel. Room. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're I doing my both... hotel room story and stuff. Well, she travels a lot because she's a camera operator. So. Uh, well, the weird one in uh in uh in the Philippines um was that uh, we were and we we okay. I was in the um the hotel room and um. They give us flip flops, as you know, to wear in a room. Like it's something that the hotels are something common, I guess. I don't know. That place did, which was great because when you take showers, it's much better. Because it's not always like you can't drink the water. Like you have to be very careful. Kind of like when you go to, when we went to Mexico, it was the same thing. But, um, so anyway, um, I was used to like hearing my flip flops in the room and then, uh, one night, um, I somebody walked in the room because it was my flip flops. Oh. I was on someone else's flip flops, but I could hear the 
walking across. And I was like, what the? I was like so scared. And then I started asking some of the locals for, you know, do they have any, any spirits? Then? And then they were like, yes, and we don't want to talk about it. So uh, anyway, it was just a little incident that happened. And then another one, um, I was in, I think I was in Mississippi, I, I think. But there was this really big storm that came that night. And um, we, uh, we all went to our rooms. And at the time, I had an extension cord I kept with me. And because they didn't have enough sockets, you know, in the walls and some hoods, some hoods, cheap, we were in a cheap hotel. I don't remember where we were exactly. But anyway, so I had set up my extension cord across the bed so I can, you know, plug in my laptop or phone and whatever. Anyway, I go to bed and in the middle of the night, I wake up and hear this sound that keeps it was more, it wasn't that high pitch. It was kind of, I'm like, what the heck is this? I says, you know what? It sounds just like those rods to close the curtain. Cause it sounds just like the rods. It's, it's gotta be that. But I was so scared. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to stand the dishes. <laughs> and, uh, the next morning, the first thing I did, um, I'm like, okay, let's, let's figure out what this sound was. So I go right to the rod. I move it. No, that is not the sound. I was like, fuck, what the heck is this? Anyway, so I, I don't know, I move my rolling chair. I had a, they had a desk and a rolling chair. I move the rolling chair and the, the extension cord was wet. And as I move it, I hear this thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, this was the sound. That was exactly the sound. So, when you move the chair, you rotated it, it would make a sound of the extension cord. And it was just kept, it kept on going that night. I mean, I was just like so freaked out, um, that, you know, this happened. But a lot of time, I'm really scared. So, um, because I do believe in, in, in some stuff when I was younger, I played with it a lot, um, when I was a teen and, uh, it went a little too far. So I had decided that just, I, I can't bring on spirits anymore. <laughs> so I'm always a little scared and I'm scared to bring them on or I'm scared to communicate with them. So I, I, I try not to do that. Anyway, what did that's, you, that's my story. What did you use to communicate if I may ask when you were younger? Well, we started with my friend. We actually would do like, it's kind of like seances. Mm-hmm. At first we, we, we could try to play with Ouija boards, um, but we um, we would just concentrate and start calling them. And we went to at one time we went to a place that my friend knew a family house had some something going on there, and things happened in there and it really scared us. We realized that oh That's my an gosh, interesting story. What is that? Yeah, it was like an old an old country house in France. Um, it was kind of no, not many, really not furniture in it. It was kind of empty. When we first entered, there was this dead bird in the fireplace. And we're like, ah, whatever. And then, so we tried, we went to a little room in the, in the, um, attic 
to uh, to try to call a spirit. And the only thing we got when we did it was this. We started having like this small. It sounded like a rodent, really crawling in the walls, right? And we're like, oh, okay, this is this is not working. We can't we can't do it. So we went back to the living room, and we had invited another friend with us. We were we were three people. So we put all our sleeping bags in there, and we're like, let's just sleep next to each other because who knows what. So we played a game just because we were just, you know, we're trying to pass time. And then suddenly, um, it was a skeleton key. The key started moving. And we're like, uh, there's no wind. There's nothing going on. So the skeleton key started moving. And then somebody upstairs was walked and no one no one else was upstairs but we were all there downstairs as far as physical people and really strong steps all across the ceiling we could we could hear it and I was like fuck let's go let's go check it out and then it continued where the sound it was just some some beating going on there was like some shed attached like another garage but a shed attached to the house and Right against the wall, it was like really strong. Like someone took maybe a piece of wood or a broom or some tool and they were just banging it really strong in the wall. And we really, we freaked out. And, uh, so the story goes on that I knew a person who, who was a healer. She's not there. Well, when you went upstairs, no one was there. Oh yeah, we went upstairs. There was nothing. There was yeah. nothing. And uh, so anyway, I went to see my friend who's a healer. She would heal people, or, or even doctors would call her sometimes. She could heal people of like uh, uh, really bad stuff. But uh, she told me to bring a picture of the place. So we brought in the picture, and then she started looking at the, looking at the picture, and she's like, "There's a well in the in the yard." in the backyard and my friend had come with me and I was like, oh. she's like, yeah, there is a well. He says, I see a date and the date is 18, some 1880 something. And my friend was like, oh my gosh, yes, there is a date. And she had never been there. So she didn't know anything about it. And then she continued and she was like getting like, she was feeling like feeling really awful. And she just suddenly she just stood up and she left. She apparently she washed her hands. She came back and she said there was a murder in there, and the lady uh, was strangled. And she said there's a ring, there's a ring that's in the front of the house. And she was giving all this information that she had she didn't know. And my friend was like, oh, we did find a ring once a long time ago. And uh, so she 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 actually could tell us a story. She said there was. A woman who cheated on her uh, significant other, and uh, he found out, and she was she was strangled in the house. Oh, and and that was the story, and then I was just like, oh, I guess you know, if you really call, or if you really call for them, they may come wh- whoever they are, whether they're good or bad. I didn't stop. Yeah, yeah I was just I was a little scared because it was getting a little a little freaky because we. We called for it, and then it came. So how old were you? I guess I must have been like seventeen. Yeah, that that's about the the age that uh, this is gonna 
get weird. My brother tells the story better, but at about 17 years old, we were messing around with the Ouija board and we just, I don't know, goofing around and all that kind of good stuff. I think we told you, Neil, I think you've heard this story before, but, um, you know, we're all goofing around asking weird questions and stuff like that. And one of the questions was, was like, well, who, who am I going to marry? And we're just, nah, whatever. And so we're doing the thing and, and then it goes to a letter M and then we're like, everybody's like, oh, it's going to be your ex-girlfriend because I wasn't with her at the time. And then it goes to an A and then everybody starts looking around going A and then it goes to an R and then it goes to an I and then it stops. And then we're like, well, that's not your ex-girlfriend's name. And everybody's like, who the hell's Madi? If you look at my wife's name down there. Yeah. And, it, and then wow. we didn't think anything of it until my brother was in the service. And he goes, hey, man, do you remember when you were messing around with the Ouija board and all that? He goes, do you remember what it spelled out? And that's when he reminded me of that story. And he goes, yeah, that's the Ouija board. The, <laughs> it was saying that you're going to meet your yeah. future wife. And, well, we've been married for 20 years now. Wow. wow. Awesome. Uh, I have a couple of things I want to share with you now, too. Uh, I was in the Army back in the 70s, and I was stationed in Germany. And we're having a company party, and they have a – psychic on site and I was a bit skeptical at the time and um, we're all hanging out and out of the blue she comes over she said your energy is so strong I just had to come and talk to you she said can I see your hands please so I put my hands out and she was looking at them and she said okay well to start off uh, you're left handed I think to myself oh this is a load of crap because I'm right handed and then she says, no, you're right-handed, but you were forced right-handed writer. When you were a kid, they forced you to write right-handed. And she said, um, the reason I came over to you is because I can tell that you have the power. It's not that strong right now, but it's going to grow within the years. And uh, whatever you do, be sure to use it wisely. And she said, also, um, what gave you the power is the two near-death experiences you had when you were 11 years old. And I'm looking at her saying, what the hell, you know? And um, when I was 11 years old, I was hit in the crosswalk by a drunk driver, and I survived. Oh, wow. Wow. And so, uh, and then within that same year, um, I was on the back of this uh, flatbed truck, and um uh, Hanging on to the bumper, uh, the, 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 you know, the drop down bridge, the drop for the, for the and the driver took off with me hanging on to it. And, uh, I freaked out and I jumped off. So I hit the ground and I went forward and I went head first. Uh, it cracked my skull open and, uh, got to the hospital and they said that I was lucky to be alive because I had a near fractured skull. Wow. And no one knew about that where I was in Germany. I never really talked about it. So, and that was 1977. And uh, fast forward to uh, 1986, uh, I was in a car accident once again, and I uh, survived, and uh, it was very scary. It was on the freeway. I got rear-ended, and uh, a good friend of mine that I met in the military visited me from England, so she and I are at Venice Beach walking around, and we see a psychic, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go talk to this person. I was drawn to her. 
and uh, my friend was off to the side, and uh, the woman took out her card. She prayed over them, and uh, she said, you've got the power. She says, you've had a lot of uh, things happen to you, and uh, you use it very wisely. And I said, well, thank you, you know, because I was in tune with people's stuff and things happening. And she said, right now you're going through a lot. She said, but there's one good thing. You have a dear friend from another country visiting you. And she's going to be your support system. So whatever she tells you, listen to her. And she said, uh, right now you're going to be going through a lot of times, but this time next year you're going to have surgery. But don't worry, everything will be fine. You'll come through it with flying colors. And here I am today you be able to share that story. So, And also, um, back to the going back, uh, regressing back to the first story, um, the woman said to me, uh, she said, you've had uh, a few past lives. And in fact, you've talked about one. And I said, what are you talking about? She says, you know, when you were a kid, you talked about one of your past lives. And that past life was um, in 1963 when JFK was assassinated. I was in kindergarten. And my friends and I, we went home and we all went back to my place and got into the house. And my mom was, what are you doing here? And she had not yet heard about Kennedy being shot. I said, well, the president was shot. And they sent us home. And she said, well, you know what? Just go down to the room and play with your friends. I, I, I can't talk right now. So we're downstairs in the playroom, study room, where my brothers had their school books. And uh, there's this one book on the table. And I pick up the book and I look at the cover. And I said, I remember I cried when he got shot, too. The person on the cover was Abraham Lincoln. Wow. Hmm. So how could it, how could someone that's only in kindergarten know about Abraham Lincoln being shot? So, and so, yeah, that's, that's what my life has been about. Just stuff and the paranormal stuff happening all the time and just, uh, feeling people's energy and, uh, the good, the bad and, everything in between and just uh, try to channel it properly and just uh, be open to it, but also know when to be, be able to block it, you know, and just <laughs> and keep it away. But uh, yeah, all these stories that are being shared tonight are so amazing. And uh, I'm glad I'm part of this. I'm glad you called in. Oh, Resume then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, uh, Jason, uh, where can people find we want to believe? Oh, it's uh it's a, Joe Blow Horror Videos. And we also put it up on a, a site for another show I do at wecamefromthebasement.com. And the first three episodes are out, and the fourth one comes out on Monday at about between 9 and 10 Pacific time. How many episodes are there total? Well, this will be the fourth one, and then we've shot, I think, six more. And we're just mm -hmm. going to keep going. Like, we're just sort of lining up more cases we want to do. We're just in the middle of shooting a series of episodes about Bigfoot. We're going on Bigfoot hunts. Are you planning on going? Because I, I, I haven't seen your 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 show yet. But have y'all? Are y'all traveling? Are you planning on traveling? Or we are like we're sort of traveling around the interior of British Columbia because that's kind of all we can really do at the moment. Mm -hmm. But you know, as soon as the, the pandemic kind of loosens up and there's a vaccine, we definitely want to travel. Like I'd love to go to you know, Vancouver Island. Tristan and I have even talked about trying to set up so she can come and do something or we could come down there. I'd like, I'd love to take it on the road, go through the States, North America. And I mean, you know, money willing, like it'd be great to go to Europe. 
and do something as we go along. So we'll just sort of see where it goes. But that's the plan is to definitely hit the road. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I, I saw the first three uh, episodes that are out there, and I really liked it. And uh, you know, Brian brought up some cool points about it, like uh, showing the process, and and it, and it doesn't seem like scripted is is, no, is a main no thing. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, I'm excited to see the conclusion uh, of, from the other three because it's all part of the same story. So. Right. On Monday. Yeah, so will the first ten episodes and I'll be the uh, the, the the demon jar. Well, we've got yeah, the Demon Jar's four parts. So the okay. fourth one comes out, and then we're moving on to an investigation called the Barn, which we did at this barn in the interior, uh, where the owners kind of been experiencing this interesting phenomenon. Uh, so there'll be about I think two episodes. Then we did another case, which we're calling the Doll's House. It's this old old house with quite a haunted history with all these creepy old dolls in it. And so that's mm. going to be a couple episodes as well. And then there's the Bigfoot Hunt, which I think is going to be three episodes in the end by the time we're done. So okay, cool. Oh, that's great. So basically what happens on the site kind of dictates how many parts you do. Yeah. And this one, the demon jar probably would have been three, but we didn't know what was going to happen. So we figured out how to kind of stretch it to four, but then we found that might be a bit too long. So we did the next couple of cases when we sort of sat and looked at the footage, just like, no, it's two. Like we don't want to push it now. Like we know we can get out and do more. Um, but just because of the Bigfoot nature of it and, and the, the angles we've been taking, it's going to be three for sure. Like there's just so much material and that we've done, et cetera. And we're bringing in some guest interviewers like Ken Gerhardt, who's a Bigfoot expert, and Shannon LeGrove of Into the Fray, who's written a book called Beyond the Fray Bigfoot, and just that kind of stuff to add different elements into it. Ooh, cool. And uh, let's see, uh, where can people find Echoes of Fear? Well, uh, Echoes of Fear in, in North America, or at least in, in the States, uh, you can find it digitally at a bunch of places, including Amazon Prime now. You have Amazon Prime. And the Blu-ray, you can order at a bunch of places online. The Blu-ray is the one that has the uh, has about 80 minutes of extras, including the 55-minute Echoes in the Dark, which has uh, a lot of the discussions of what the film was based on is, is included yeah. in that. And, and where you... Out, but, Where can you purchase the Blu-ray? I, I oh, didn't catch that. Oh, if you just Google it, it'll pop up a lot. Like Dark Delicacies has some sign ones. Dark Delicacies here in LA. Is it, can, is it? Is that a? Uh, it's a, a store. Is it a yeah. store? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, Burbank. very. Okay, so awesome. You can, you can yeah. get mail order from it too. So. Do yeah. you you own the store? No, 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 no. They're they're just selling the ones that are signed. But there's a bunch of places online you can just order it. Okay. Uh, you can just Google like Echoes of Fear Blu-ray. It'll bring up a lot. Like Amazon will sell the Blu-ray, you know, if you want to get from Amazon. So there's, there's a bunch of places you can get it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Also, I wanted to say there's something interesting with Paranormal when we did um, our other film, Dark Remains. And actually, I ended up doing like a little documentary interviewing the guards of the prison. Yeah, I guess to talk about. That oh, you did. Bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Like the dog. Yeah, talks it was. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. pretty freaky. Yeah, that's. <laughs> and even the like the first movie we went to, where it had a shower, and we wanted maybe we were scouting. It was before we shot. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember that. Well, we went into this room and had like a shower, and it was really dark, so we had because there's no light. We went in there and. My the camera shut down. Things started. I, I was feeling really, really weird in there, and we didn't even know that they had a ghost in, in there. And we found out after we did the movie that the paranormal team came in 
And they said, they told us that they actually found it in that shower area. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Same area. Wow. Yes, that's okay. the area. Because we wanted to even put our craft tea nearby. And I was just, I can't go in there. This is just banned. <laughs> this is a banned section. You just have to be in the other room that's a little, you know, but it was, it was scary. It was creepy. Yeah. Right? It, it was scary. And then also, I forgot to mention Echoes of Fear, not knowing who watches this, Neil, Echoes of Fear is coming out in the UK on DVD on, on Monday. Last time we had, a lot of people were asking, you know, about, uh, right. you know, because it's it, coming it out awesome. overseas. I think Security. it's, yeah, supposedly it's going to end up being in 30 countries overseas, which is kind of, Amazing and really good. Congrats, Congratulations. That's awesome. No, it's, it's great. Nice. I'm just happy people are seeing it. So it's exciting. Well deserved. Is that the same day as we want to believe? Sorry. Guys. Yes. The same day. Yeah. Same day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hey. Awesome. Yeah. It's like a holiday <laughs> here and without your head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what about your uh, documentary? Uh, is it, is it, it's, you're saying it's only in Spanish right now with those subtitles? Or? No, there's there the short has subtitles. Um, oh, okay. Is it online, Rob? Uh, yeah, yeah, it should be online. And then the feature length, the the original cut uh, feature length is all in Spanish. There there are no subs on it. But uh, if anybody wants a link, I can always awesome. send the link if you're just kind of intrigued to see. Please do. Called. Yeah, Bolo can understand Spanish, so maybe she could do a live translation for me. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, there's a. Um, um, there's uh, uh, several limpias or cleansings that happen. You get a day in the life of when he is not cleansing. He's on the farm. He's with his kids, which is a very uh, – it's a very weird uh, living arrangement because some of the kids are not even his kids. They've actually been left there uh, because the parents, I guess, can't take care of them, and he brought them into his – fold and so he's he was raising these kids uh as his own and um uh he it, it you get a interesting glimpse of uh what he does in a week's time uh being a curandero <laughs> what's the name what's the name of it el indio el indio de cotula yeah. What area of Mexico is it in? Oh no, it's in Texas. It's uh, it's really close to the uh, the border. Laredo, I yeah, think. Laredo, yeah, between Laredo and. Um, How close is that? When I was in Texas, was it near there? Um, I want to say it's because from here to the border, I want to say it's about a two-hour, two and a half-hour drive. So. Maybe an hour and a half drive from here to Katua. Yeah. It's about an hour and a half drive from here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's literally in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Yep. So, you, uh, can, you can easily get lost. Uh, you, you end up going to a different different town looking for this town. And when you get there, uh, just a point of uh, a trivia, LBJ actually taught elementary school in Catula, Texas. Oh, there's wow. there's photos of him uh, in his younger days teaching, you know, all these kids uh, there. And um, there's it's a very famous picture. But uh, yeah, at at one time I guess it was thriving. You know, the 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 oil boom was was really happening, and then when that kind of tapped out, everybody left. Uh, they they kind of had a resurgence with all the fracking, but I mean you're, we're just destroying all of you know the land. everything. Yeah, we, the, we have 
so many earthquakes throughout Texas that we had. We never before. used to have earthquakes, and then whenever all this the show the the what show was the, the, show? the yeah. show uh the fracking happened in that area, there are earthquakes now. So the and then whenever the the scenery's even changed, that now whenever you would go and and have these long drives with nothing but country, all you see are the the oil wells. Mm. It's all along the side, and then these big like, uh, what are they called? Like tubs, but big metal tubs that hold the the fracking water, and you can see all like the gas. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever seen gas or heat coming off the road, and it has like a like a shimmer. Mm-hmm. That's what you see coming off these things, and it's just the land is not the same. So. I don't know why I went on that tangent. <laughs> but it's an important one. So I'm okay, glad. Yeah. So. Now, when, yeah. when do you guys yeah. do your uh, podcast? Um, okay, so I retired and uh, um, decided retired to. from the podcast? No, no, no. no oh, I retired I from my job. Oh, and so now I'm in beauty school. Oh, really? <laughs> Yes. So I'm going to school to uh, as a, for esthetician. My goal is to become a medical esthetician, but to also do like uh, makeup for film oh, and okay. and stuff like that as well. Give me a makeover next time I'm done. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, well, it, well, just to just to let everybody know. Oh, oh. So I, that's my that's another <laughs> tangent. I'll get I, I, to that. Well, I think I think my wife should make a, a story or whatever. My wife uh, achieved in less than five years, became a sergeant at a correctional uh, uh, the jail. She went from not having any experience there to becoming a sergeant. And she's got all kinds of stories of being, you know, a, a female in that kind of environment and stuff. And in her time, when when the time is right, she will – I'll, I'll see if she can tell her story because um, – and she had left right, you know, um, before COVID really took off. She gave them warnings. She said, we need to do all these precautions and all this. But these guys did not want to hear anything from a woman, uh, much less a person with a liberal lean. Anything of that nature, it was like zip, quiet, you know – I don't want to turn into politics. I'm sorry, Neil, but no, it, 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 it basically <laughs> became uh, the mantra was it's a hoax. And these are all her superiors were telling her that. And they were like, why are you wearing a mask? My wife from day one, when we started getting stuff in March, she was wearing a mask and they were like, why are you wearing that? She was the only one doing this on her own. And like, I got a family. I need to protect my family. And they were like, you're, you're crazy. Uh, you and all these people and this, that, and the other. Well, when my wife had retired within that two weeks time, when she was gone, the jail went out of control. They tested 90 people, 90 inmates, mm-hmm. uh, out of the 90, 87 came back positive for COVID right and now. That, and they only tested, um, a small section of they the only tested. And I would, and what, was the driving factor. I, I I loved my job and I know that right now there is a negative thing with law enforcement because I worked with the, I mean, I was with the sheriff's department and um, 
I loved it because I liked working with the, the, the officers. I liked working with the people. I, if I, my job was not to judge anybody. My job was to correct, you know, what was going on is the title correction officer. So if they're doing something, you know, that they shouldn't be doing, I took it in the, in the way I did it was okay. So if my kids are acting up, I'm going to go correct their behavior, you know, so that way they're not doing it again. And that was my approach. And that's where I earned my respect. So the day the my last day, the captain I was working under said to close the dorm that had just opened up. And mind you, we are so understaffed. I think we were like understaffed, like 30, 30 something officers. So we were really like stretching thin. I'm having, I'm talking like officers having to go and stick either come in early or stay four hours late. So it would be like a total of 16 hours and you can't, in Texas, I'm not sure what the, the laws are in the other states, but in Texas, you cannot work over 16 hours, and we were pushing it to the limits. Um, so they decided to open up a dorm with all these people in my facility that I ran, and they had, like, the 14-day, uh, like, time period where they had to stay in an area before moving them. Well... The powers that be moved it from 14 days to 10 days. And I questioned it. I'm like, why are you doing that? You know, this thing, you know, it's, we had been so lucky to not have an outbreak in the facility at all, in both facilities. So he went from 10 days to seven days. Well, during that time, this guy comes in, gets transferred over to the facility that I ran. And, um, the last day I worked, the captain said to shut down DSL because he wanted the, he had promised the officer that he was going to be able to go home at his regular time. Well, there goes the patient zero had already been exposed. Everybody in this unit gets dispersed and absorbed in three other units. So there's these three, everybody's sick, everybody's sick. And then if you have people that don't, that believe it's a hoax, they're not wearing their masks and they're not cleaning with the bleach that they're, or the, the, the chemicals that they're supposed to be cleaning with. I mean, it's, it's going to spread like wildfire, fire, which is what it did. And I'm already immunocompromised and stuff with the medication that I take. I, I just, I don't know. I had had it like I, it it wasn't the officers that I worked with. It was not the inmates that I worked with. It was the administrators that I worked with that, that made me leave my job. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I felt like I had to retire. It was, it was done. And I'm at the age, like I'm in my mid forties that I just, if I didn't, changed my career now it was going to be too late so i pulled my retirement now i'm going to school now so answering your question neil our (laughs) our podcast i try to do it on my days off so saturday is like my friday so i get out of school at four and um 
we get ready for our podcast. So set, we do one on Saturday and we do one on Sunday this is what we've been doing. So except this past weekend, we had the hurricane Hannah. Right. <laughs> she yeah. Just- yeah. It was too bad. Cause you had some really big time guests lined up. I heard. Yeah, yeah, Neil, Neil, <laughs> Neil Trista, yeah. Yeah, but we have you guys on in, yeah, in a couple in weeks. A couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very good. I'm looking forward to it. I know Trista yeah. as well. Yeah, and I have a really nice interview with Mariella uh, when I was in Texas. Oh my God, uh, I was drinking. Which I'm not posted. <laughs> she has, she did drink quite a bit, but. I, <laughs> And I get a very nice story for people. You'll you'll hear all about how Mary Ellen and Robert met and how they uh, get married. And it's a it's a, it's a nice <laughs> podcast. I, I, There's I no filters. The filter went away. <laughs> right, right. Well, I was I was totally sober. But yeah, that, but that, that was, and it was I'm yep. sure you were. I was. Yeah. Oh, were you? Yeah. All no, right, I haven't drank right. anything in like 15 months. Oh, this was during that time. Yeah, yeah. Did, and that was. Before that. Oh no! If it was before that, yeah. yeah. Odds, <laughs> yeah, odds were good. I would have had a lot to drink. Yeah. It, it was all on the cusp of the eve of of COVID. We we actually I had a, a a filmmaker who was originally from, from Wuhan. Yeah, Wuhan, yeah. and he was living in New York. And uh, he came to the festival, and right after the festival, he flew to Wuhan to be with his family. He posed a question to us, which we thought was so science fiction sounding. I think. Neil, you were there. He said, "Has the has America ever shut down an entire city?" And we just looked at him, going, "Yeah, it was like crazy." Like, yeah, we're like, they would they would never do that. That's (laughs) and yeah, here we go. The whole world shut down. (laughs) Yeah, it was so weird. And he did go to China. He he had been trying to get back to the U.S. He did go to France, and he faced all kinds of. uh, hate they because he would walk in the streets and he would get yelled at. He has uh, uh, Instagram videos of all this people yelling at him and telling him to get out of the country and it's his fault. And it's just so bizarre what, what he was facing over there. And because he loved France, he went to school there. He got all his filmmaking uh, uh, schooling there. And then from France, he went to New York and they paid him. He goes, well, I will make whatever films you want me to make in New York. He was he was living it up. And then, uh, I don't know, he got kind of lost there for just a, just a little bit because I think he had an apartment. He said, I have to get back because my equipment's there and my lease is going to go. <laughs> he, I don't know whatever happened, uh, that part. But we we do have uh, – we have touched base with him and – uh, in in the in a future episode, we we are going to uh, have him as a guest, and that way he can kind of fill us in with uh, the COVID. His, his, yeah, his yeah, adventure. He's a really really nice guy. I hang out with him a lot. Yeah. Even when I first got there, we all went uh, to Whataburger. To Whataburger. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> it was funny because he was all about. He's like, oh, it's very American because it was like this big giant <laughs> burger. Yeah. Yeah. When you go, it when was you come to actually, Texas. Uh, honestly, it was really nice too because I think some people think people from Texas might be—I uh, don't know—I don't say rednecks, but they, you know, they. But we went out and there was a nice guy. He—he—he's like, "Oh, you guys aren't from around here," 
and he bought us like a, a, a I forget the burger. It was like a sausage. It was like a breakfast burger. Oh, the breakfast on a bun. Yeah, bre- oh, yeah. and he's yeah, like, you the- guys have to try yeah. this. And he nice. got, bought one and cut it in half and gave me half and gave. Uh, <laughs> one thing I have to say about Corpus, like, they awesome. may, <laughs> the, there's some people that might run you over while you're crossing yeah, the street. Well, yeah, because <laughs> but, I walk all the time. And, and when, as soon as I get there, Mariella yeah. was like but, warning me like not to walk. Cause like you're gonna right around like uh, what I walk all the time, <laughs> and yeah, the, I went to go cross like the highway. You know, at the crosswalk, it says green. You know, walk. I start walking. Everyone's just flying through. It's like, oh, this. She was right. This is. Uh huh. But I mean, but here's my but. The people in Corpus are very generous, and uh-huh. you know they will. You know. We have you like also a, warned me some places I shouldn't go, which I pro- I did go anyway. But, you know. <laughs> I was like, why do you go there? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why I do things. But yeah. <laughs> so it's 3 a.m. in the middle of the night. It's totally fine. Yeah, we're we're so, looking at gone. your we're looking at your 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 texts and everything and your posts, and we're like, oh my god, he's going out for a pickle. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. I'd go yeah. walk. Walk like five miles to get a pickle. Yeah. <laughs> and then you went to the coffee. Did you go to the coffee shop that sold guns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's, yeah, because I got a picture. <laughs> it said just said coffee and guns. That was the store. No. It was like, yes, it was like, it was like the essentials of life: coffees, <laughs> and coffee, and guns. <laughs> and, I think that's even what that's what it's called. It was like the set. it was like the essentials, and that that was what they sold coffee. Well, growing up. <laughs> East Tennessee, there was there was uh, I know there was at least one uh, video store uh, and gun store that was combined. Right, so I guess you could buy your gun and then rent Rambo. What could possibly? Be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there was a twenty-four hour bail bondsman I walked by. I thought that was interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was a, it was an interesting place. I had a good time. <laughs> no, but I it was good food, very good food, and yeah. very good hosts. Robert. And oh, Daniel. there you go. Yeah. And by the way, South Texas Underground Film Festival, uh, one of my favorite film festivals. Aww. <laughs> well, Honestly. you're one of our favorite people. Then that's for real. We talk about yeah. you all the time. Well, and Neil always talks about you guys too. Yeah, so and Elvis. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Shout out to Elvis. Elvis. He's asleep right now. He see him. Okay. He's on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> His sleep's all messed up. <laughs> well, this was very, this was very cool. I was happy to have everyone here. Thank yeah, you. Great, you know, thanks for having us. This, this was a really good Thank episode. You, it was, it was awesome. Great. Loved the stories. Yeah, awesome. yeah, some great stories by everybody. Yeah. I'm sorry if I told Jason the show would probably be about an hour. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he knows never to I believe. I probably you knew that was that. not going to be true to begin. Oh, with. Yeah, that was such a lie. Except my wife, probably two. It'll probably be two. Yeah, maybe two. <laughs> Three. No chance at three. I know. <laughs> Never. No, oh, I, I think I might scare him if I told him. Oh, it's probably three. Yeah. <laughs> oh. All good. Something, I think something came up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you for having us. Thanks, everybody. It's nice thanks meeting everybody. Yeah, and thanks, everyone, for watching. AJ says uh, fun times, and it was a fun time. So. It's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Bye. And thank you, Don, as well. Yes. Thank you. Hope yeah. you yeah. I'm, I'm thinking Don and Troy might be related, but um. <laughs> thinking you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. My other twin. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right.
From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound and horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. The tomb of Nick Cage. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. The